Hi, I'm Eric, also known as TrekkieV47, from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome, it's thou, to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider Man podcast where we dive into every Spider Man cartoon that has ever been created. I am Sir Derek. And I am Lord Douglas. And is thou spider sense tingling? Aye, it doth. That's where we're going to stop doing that. To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And we are watching The Spectacular Spider-Man, so like we always say, this show's great, you should watch it. And if you want to watch it, it's available on DVD and Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is uh, out of print, so it's harder to find, but it's worth finding if you can get it at a reasonable price. But it's also available for purchase on most digital platforms if you just like it digitally. Before we get into this week's very Shakespearean episode, that opening did not cue you into that <laughs> i'm so glad you did that because we didn't talk about doing that and i had already planned to answer no you in a very fake shakespearean way ah i love it oh my god i love the the the, the sinking of brain waves there it's so great in great sync. Lines. perfect love it <laughs> love it love it yeah and i just said it on the fly so that was not like authentic ye oldie speak either by the way i'm fully aware of that um, who who are you apologizing to right now? There is apps you know, you know, there are people who are like, that is not the proper use of thou. Thou actually does not mean the way people use it now. If it wasn't obvious we were fucking around, get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though. My my, co- my college, my English major did teach like an old, like an authentic, like old English class. Yeah. I took um, uh, I took a history of English class where we had to. Yeah, I did, too. Uh, yep. Yeah, I, I, I was trying to remember, like, if I actually took it or if I just, like, knew the English professors who did it and, like, because, you know, I was in, in, in the English department. But, yeah, no, I totally oh, took I it. I took it. Retained, it was hard. <laughs> reta- it was. It's retained really absolutely nothing about it. But, you know, it's like, hey, I could, for, like, a hot second, I could read Canterbury Tales as it was originally written. Oh, my written. God. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Same. Cool man. And I'm a cool guy. <laughs> I, I I'm glad it's all flushed out of my brain. I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need that yeah. in there. <laughs> I have no desire to learn it again. I'm I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Retain none of that and it's fine. It was fun for the time, yes. but yeah, it's very hard. It's very, very fun hard. to see how it all connects, but that that was enough for me. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yep. But yeah, you can take those classes. Um, if you are a young college or high school student and you were wondering if you could learn Old English, yes, you can. Or, you know, you don't have to be a young college student. You could just be an adult who wants to go back to college specifically to learn Old English. No one that has literally never been Ew. anyone that has ever existed on the planet. I hope the one person who did that listens to our show. 
I'll, if you if you like that, please we'll read it on the I show. <laughs> want to be your best friend because you sound like a fascinating person. Oh yes. A quick bit of business. We did have word snappers words last week actually, and those words were follow pizza bagels on MySpace, submitted by Gemma Nicole. I hope that I said it so quickly and incorporated it so smoothly that none of you even realized I said it. I almost missed that she said it. Like, I was all, I was about to talk over it, honestly. So I hope you edit. If I did talk over it, I hope you edit me out talking over it so you can like hear it. Yeah, no, actually, I thought that was pretty smooth, to be honest, considering what those words were. Yeah. I would have just saved it for like our outro at the very end. Just be like, follow us on on face on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well at Walloping Web at Oh my God, what I can't even talk. Whatever you know what I'm saying. Walloping uh, Web Snoppers. <laughs> Walloping Web Snoppers. <laughs> no, it was episode 69, so I had to I had to set the mood. And what's more sensual than pizza bagels? <laughs> I don't disagree with that at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, this is going to be fun. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you should should add, too, if you want to submit word snappers like pizza bagels, you can do that on our Patreon. Just join at any level. That's just one of the monthly games that we play where you can submit any words that we have to say on our Patreon. Or not on our Patreon. On our episodes. Yeah. We've got to say it on our episodes every month. Honestly, like for $1 a month. I'm just thinking. I'm, it's funny because we. this is our idea. And I'm literally just thinking of this now. For $1 a month, you can make us say anything you want. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't feel like people have really taken advantage of the anything I know. you want. And I don't it's think within... I've ever really considered, like, I know this, this sounds so stupid because it's our podcast and our idea. But I'm thinking about this now. And I absolutely would do that just to think of, like, short phrases people have to say. Like, the power the absolute power people have over us or could have over us for one dollar. <laughs> yeah. 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 <sighs> if we ever I've I've suggested this since the very beginning of us doing this. Like, I love Topher Grace's Venom. And if we ever get that, obviously Doug has to be the one to say that. I'm honestly shocked that no one I know it's an example, but I'm honestly <laughs> shocked no one's ever submitted. But that's that. the thing, is it's an example and they could still I could literally say on a podcast, I would never say this. And next month, somebody could make me say it. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever really fully explored that, but hopefully, <laughs> I don't. I don't know yeah. what I hope. I'm just. I'm for whatever reason, I'm reflecting on this right now in the middle of an episode. So I'm gonna just let you continue to do your thing and have a crisis over what people are gonna make us say next month. Yeah, what I don't know what thing you think I'm gonna be continuing to be doing, but I don't know. I just <laughs> assumed I interrupted you. <laughs> No, we just interrupt this. The whole podcast is just us interrupting each other over over and over again, pretty much. Fair. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, we're talking about a very exciting episode of The Spectacular Spider-Man. This is uh, season two, episode 12, entitled Opening Night. The synopsis per IMDb is, well, did I, did I, who who read the one last time? You did. I read the one last time. So you, you should go ahead and read this one while you're in the middle of your crisis. So that's going to add even more, even more tragic emotion to it, just as there is much of in this very Shakespearean episode. Perfect. Here's a synopsis. Editor Jonah roots against Spider-Man when he tests if a new Oscorp top security, security, penitentiary design is escape proof. Not only does he succeed in tricking the guards, Green Goblin orchestrated sabotage releases the freak thugs. Pardon me? (laughs) 
What? <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to retract my statements about how much I love whoever writes these. The Freak Thugs? Okay. The Freak Thugs. <laughs> Green Goblin Orchestrated Sabotage releases The Freak Thugs so they can chase Spidey while he's trapped inside. Freak Thugs. I've tried to be better about like not laughing directly into the <laughs> mic because I know it's annoying, but like I couldn't stop. That was, it wow. Just, it just, I, yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's... It's a, mm. this is not a phrase. This is not a compound word. Freak hyphen thug. What? That can't, what? <laughs> I'm, wow. I'm stunned. I'm stunned. Wow. 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 I'm going to miss these. We have one more left after this. After that, I don't know if I'm going to miss them anymore. I feel betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you don't love the freak thugs. Oh no, I love the freak thugs and I'm offended that they have been treated with such disrespect. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, the international air date for this episode was March 17th, 2009. The U.S. air date was November 18th, 2009. This was directed by Mike Gogwin, and it was written by our friend Greg Weissman. Hey! You can absolutely tell that it was written by Greg Weissman, because this is the writeriest episode of television what? that I have ever encountered in my entire life. What gave it away? <laughs> there's like the whole episode is just Shakespeare characters just speaking in rhymes all the lines flow into the next scene there's alliteration all over the damn place like this it's like <laughs> written by you... Greg Weissman for Greg Weissman <laughs> right this is just like hey guys I got this I got this <laughs> it's like everything that I've ever loved in this one episode <laughs> man <laughs> Like English major's dream. And it's a great episode. Like, I'm not saying that mockingly. I just think it's hilarious because this is really like, if you are a writer and you like doing clever writer things, like this episode just packs all of them into it. <laughs> like, it's just like a love affair with the English language in this episode. That is true. <laughs> it is. It's it's all there. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, we actually have characters to talk about which I wasn't really expecting. The first of which I'm going to mention is a character named Walter Hardy. Interesting. Mm. Voiced by James, oh gosh, I didn't look up how to say this. Typical. Remar? Remar. One of the two. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, much of it is fun nerd stuff, too. On screen, his longest running roles were as Dexter's dad on the show Dexter and as Peter Gamby on Black Lightning, which I think is still a current role. But he's also appeared in recurring roles on the Shannara Chronicles, The Vampire Diaries, Gotham, Wilfred, Grey's Anatomy, Jericho, Sex and the City, and lots of other stuff. He's provided a bunch of voice work for lots of stuff, such as voicing Vilgax in Ben 10 Alien Force and Ultimate Alien, which is actually a role held previously by fellow familiar voice Steve Blum, Black Mask in The Batman, Two-Face in The Brave and the Bold, and Silver Monkey in Beware the Batman, Tonrak in Legend of Korra, and many other beautiful animated series. Um, he's also been in a whole bunch of movie roles, like a lot of them, and one of those roles is as LaRousse, one of the chefs in Gusto's Kitchen in the Pixar film Ratatouille. Oh, soft plug. We have a Pixar podcast that what? you should listen to. Oh my yeah. gosh, what a coincidence. Yeah, funny, funny thing about that. So, you know. Check it out. The other person who speaks, ah, uh, what? 
Hobie Brown speaks? Love it. Love He's it. allowed to say words? It's true. Hobie Brown speaks in this episode, finally, and he is voiced by Charles Duckworth, who hasn't done tons and tons of stuff um, and actually hasn't done anything in like the past decade except just got back into stuff after a decade. So he's appeared in one or two episodes of a bunch of things, such as Buffy, Cold Case, Phil the Future, That's So Raven, King of Queens, All Grown Up, Veronica Mars, a couple CSI shows, and other things. Like, just kind of like all over the place, different kinds of stuff, um, usually mm-hmm. for an episode or two. Uh, just like Spectacular. After Spectacular, there's a gap of about a decade until this past year when he appeared in a movie called An American King. I know he also makes music, so I don't know if maybe that was what he was doing for that decade. But uh, I I imagine part of that is maybe what drew him to An American King or got him in American King, because I know it also features Akon. I don't know. He does lots of stuff. So I I love that the, the Hobie doesn't speak joke like that the end result wasn't just like a weird meta thing where it's like, wow, he's voiced by like Will Smith or something like a famous guy. Like the joke is the joke that he doesn't speak until he finally speaks. And it's like a kind of a nice like release of tension when he finally speaks. Like, I'm glad that they didn't, I'm glad that they didn't try to put a button on the joke by making the joke about it being a famous person voicing him. Cause I like the guy. We don't hear a lot of him in this episode, but what we hear of him, I like him. Like he's, and he's good at the stuff that he delivers considering what, what he has to deliver in this episode. Yeah, no, he does a great job, especially considering Hobie only speaks on stage in this episode. So exactly. um, Exactly. Yeah. Really, really, really great job. I do think like, it is still sort of meta. Like, I mean, I think the fact that he doesn't get to speak until he's literally performing, like, I think that's the perfect way to go about closing up this joke because presumably, I mean, I don't know this to be a fact, but I would assume that Hobie would hopefully get to continue to speak or the joke would then continue. And the joke would still be that he only got to speak when he was literally performing. So it's like, I don't know. I think it's kind of like the perfect, (laughs) It's kind of a perfect uh, perfect way to, like, cut that tension and still have it be or feel sort of like a significant way to do it. I think it's cool. Oh, yeah. I love – yeah, I love I love how they pull it off in this episode. This whole episode is really fun because it does, I think, really spotlight, like, how much time that they spent, like, developing the supporting cast because this is, like – there's so many characters in this episode, but they use it in really smart ways. You get to see a lot of villains in the prison um, and you get to see pretty much all the high schoolers in the play, which is like, you know, the big thing that most of the season has been leading up to. And it's such a nice spotlight of like a nice little spotlight of everyone, like everybody that we've kind of grown to love has a little bit to do. And it's just like considering I know that, you know, this wasn't intended to be the end of the show and we still have one episode left, but obviously the last episode can't give every single character something super meaty to do because it'll be one episode. So as the penultimate episode, it's nice to feel like we at least get to like see the majority of the supporting cast get to do some really fun stuff because of this really nice school play that we have going on. Yeah, it pretty much brings everybody into the proverbial room to some degree, which is cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's dive into this one. This episode opens at Rikers Island Prison Complex, which is where all of our favorite criminals are typically held if they're not in the care of one Dr. Kafka. Um, and a very good, very good psychiatrist that's just so good at her job. The best. Uh, I say care with all seriousness, of course. 
Um, but at this at, at Rikers, we see Norman Osborn sharing with J. Jonah Jameson that the vault is the latest and greatest in containment cells. As they talk, Captain Stacy arrives and meets them, and Jonah celebrates finally seeing, quote, this reprobate uh, behind bars. And who's the reprobate he's talking about? Well, it's Spider-Man, of course. <gasps> They're putting Spider-Man in prison. What could be going on? You'll have to wait yeah. to find out, because here come the credits. It's such a great teaser, and I love, too, that, like, we just got an episode before this that started, like, in the DSRS, right? Like, that that then flashed back, and it almost makes you think that's going to be a case this time, and it's like, Spider-Man's in prison? What? How do you get here? But then they don't flash back. Like, they just explain why he's there and then just keep going from that point on. I love that. It's so clever. Yeah. No, it's it's fun. It, it makes you uh, makes you question everything. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. The credits this time feature Liz again, followed by Flash and Jonah. Yeah, so we do cut right back to the prison and we get our answers. I think it's a weird answer. I'm very curious to get your thoughts on it. Because inside the cell, we get Spider-Man taunting Jameson and reminding Jameson that the only reason he's locked up is because he agreed to help Norman test out the new vault. So Spider-Man agreed to be locked up in prison and surveilled by Norman Osborn in front of J. Jonah Jameson. It's, yeah, there's a very, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's weird. So, like, I find I it think, very hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, I think the the beat that we're missing, because I, I do think that there could, I think that there could be a scene where Peter being Norman's mentor, which we've seen very little of this season, to be honest, considering yeah. how it was set up to be such a big deal. I know why they did it this way, because they wanted the shock of the teaser with Spider-Man's in prison, right? Yeah. But I think that there could be a scene where Peter is is Norman's mentor, or vice versa. Norman is Peter's mentor. Norman knows that Peter has a connection to Spider-Man and is like, Peter, I need you to convince Spider-Man to help me test my prison. And even throw out, like, like he won't be hurt, but I also know that he's, like, foil, blah, 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 and he's done this and done that. And I think he's the best person like that we can get to test this and sort of like getting to Spider-Man through Peter, like almost by accident. Cause then Peter would be like, well, okay. I heard him being honest about this. So maybe I can trust him. And it would be in it for me to know how secure this prison is because all the supervillains that I fought go there. And I want to make sure that they can't escape. And the best way to do that is if I do it myself, it's still like a weird reach, but, like, I could see it being explained, but this episode doesn't know where to explain it at yeah. all. They just say that Norman asked him, and that's it. Yeah, they don't so, do any work eh. to explain it. I think it's a huge stretch, and I'm not going to dwell on it because I think it's a fun episode, and it doesn't hurt the actual episode we get. I just don't believe for a second that Peter Parker is agreeing to be locked up in a cell as Spider-Man. I think it's weird that he says Norman asked him and not Captain Stacy, because I think he would believe it if Captain Stacy reached out to him and asked him, because they've obviously been on, like, more even terms. Um, and I think that he would agree to that. I still don't think it makes any sense for him to agree. I I, I, I mean, I guess the only way I would buy it is, is because he is, like, a 16-year-old kid. There's no older version of Peter Parker that would agree to this. They could have also said that they're going to pay him, too. Like, I think that would explain a lot. Like, like, oh, I need the money for a blah, blah, blah. I and, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe. I think I think that there's plenty of ways that they could have explained it. I think they keep it just a little bit too vague, like for to, that strains a lot of credibility, unfortunately. It ends up being fun, but the suspension of disbelief applies to the universe and less to like the fact that this is a sci fi show. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it's hard because there's so much happening in this episode that needs to get done. So, like, I'm. 
totally okay with them trying to keep it tight and trim the fat, but like that was the type of fat that I think would have would have been better to keep. Yeah. But like <laughs> in I some said, way. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm I'm not going to harp on it too much because it's like the entire setup for the episode. So like shitting on this too much is like, all right, well, what do you want him to do? Just not do the episode? Well, no, because fun stuff happens. So, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I just I'm not buying it. Mr. Weissman, not buying it. <laughs> Got to get those Shakespeare references in, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. The other fun thing about this episode is that outside the prison, a delivery woman identifying herself as Selena Drew, um, Selena Kyle, Jessica Drew, get it? Uh, whoa. <laughs> at the at the security gates. Um, I do love that name because yeah, it's like too. not super obvious and it's like also a Marvel and a DC reference at the same time. Like yeah. really clever. But yeah, she's at the security gates. But she actually is Black Cat in disguise who has gained clearance. And yeah, we finally, after getting a little tease of one earlier this season, we finally get an actual Black Cat episode, which rules. I'm so glad we get one more before the show's over. Yeah, yeah, I was happy to see it. I was nervous that it was going to be another fake out just because, like, I was nervous that was going to start to be a thing if if it... You know, if it happened twice, it was absolutely going to happen again. So I'm glad that that was not the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, at Midtown, we cut to Midtown. Mr. Devereaux announces one hour till showtime. It is the night of the show. Um, and he demands to know where Harry is because an hour before the show, Harry should probably be there. And uh, no one really knows where he is. So MJ calls Gwen, who's at home because she's not in the show, uh, to ask if she knows where Harry has been. And Gwen responds that she hasn't seen him all day um, and that he's not responding to any of her calls or texts or anything. Uh, Meanwhile, Liz calls Peter to remind him that he promised to go to the show because she's in it and also to call her if he hears from Harry (laughs) because they don't know where he is. Yeah, um, also specifies that she saved him a seat that used to be Mark's seat, and the seat is right next to her parents. So, like, for a relationship thing, yeah, doing something in front of your parents that's also in place of your brother who just traumatically, like, went to prison. Like, this is not, this is something you don't want to fuck up. Right. Which makes the whole prison situation a lot more shaky because, like, Peter, you agreed to do this on the exact same uh-huh. night of your girlfriend's play. Excuse me? Like, I'm when sorry. When you were fighting, like, a day ago? I don't know how long it's been, but you were just fighting. <laughs> this, well, okay, that, honestly, I could, I was willing to overlook, like, the Norman thing, because that's, that's just the, that's the necessary setup for some wacky stuff. This bothered me more, because it's so dumb on Peter's part, because it's like, if you were agreeing to do this, why did this half, why did this have to be the night that you did it if, shouldn't you have the power in the situation to say like i will agree to do this really dangerous thing for you people who hate me but only on my schedule like um, the only thing that i can guess is that peter is just so flaky and flighty that he just plum forgot when the play was when he agreed to do this and couldn't back out of it for some stupid reason i don't know i don't know how you can separate him i think it was all a dumb idea and this only contributes to how even more dumb it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was floored. Even when we do learn a little bit more later, I was still floored. I was like, what in the world? <laughs> right. It sucks. It's like, and it sucks because it's like, it's all necessary setup for really great drama that happens later. Like, it's all good in what comes of it. 
it's just like the setup is so shaky and you have to buy yeah. so many ridiculous things to get there. But what we get, it's awesome. I love this episode in so many ways. But yeah, the setup is stupid. Yeah, setup, <laughs> setup, not great. I Another thing I want to point out, Gwen specifically mentions that Harry isn't answering his Osberry, which means Harry finally got an Osberry. Oh, good for him. Yay. Good for him. <laughs> Yay. One one good thing happens with Harry, I guess. Yay, he got an Osberry. <laughs> the Osberries taste like Osberries. <laughs> oh, one other thing I wanted to point out in this. So when MJ calls Gwen, we see a little snippet of her room. First of all, she's wearing like a different skirt. Like she's wearing like a black skirt and black mm-hmm. boots. So it's like she's feeling out her fashion and outfits i love that for her i think a couple people have been changing clothes too like i don't think it's just gwen i think they've been experimenting because doesn't liz wear a different isn't liz wearing something new in last week's episode um no she's worn that before she's always either wearing that the her her like kind of pink and brown outfit or she's wearing her cheerleading outfit or she's wearing her like single shirt pajamas i just Um, didn't for some reason ever notice the like crossover top that she wears yeah no she wore that back in the first season when they're at the carnival yeah, I, I love I love her outfit. I like all of their outfits usually because they do some nice like contemporary, but not like super contemporary. Like some people wear the baggy pants that were very popular in two thousand and nine. Yeah. But like especially a lot of the girls like wear like pretty cool outfits that like feel real. Like they don't look like cartoon characters, but they also don't look dated or anything either. The only exception I think is Valentine's Day. I think their dress clothes looked very dated. Sure. But that was, yeah. I mean, that's a very specific occasion. And that stuff is coming back. So. Very true. <laughs> it's almost not dated all over again. Oh, yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up, though, is when, when Gwen is called, I think this is a very intentional but a really good detail. So Gwen, we see, like, a, just a brief look at her bedroom, which has, like, a unicorn poster <laughs> or painting in it, by the way. Of course. But she has a very um, decent-sized framed photo of she and Peter And underneath that, not in a frame, just this little teeny tiny picture, just kind of like tucked under, barely hanging, about to fall down photo of her and Harry from Valentine's Day. Like, (laughs) among a bunch of other papers that are pinned to her wall. Like, very clear where her heart is right now. (laughs) It all makes sense. Yeah. It all makes sense. Yeah. Peter was her best friend for like 16 years. (laughs) Well, we don't know that. Flash was also her best friend. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and Harry was supposedly like one her, one of her best friends yeah. like early on too. So it's like I think it's such it's a really smart like background detail. Yeah, no, for that sure. Did not need to be there, but it definitely informs a lot. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's there for a reason for sure. Yeah, yeah. So at the prison, Black Cat bypasses an alarm. Um, the way so the way she got in actually to clarify because uh, it informs this moment, she got in by saying that she was delivering equipment for the new vault. And so somehow she was able to gain security clearance. So in this moment, she bypasses the alarm by tricking it into thinking that she is working on the security equipment, which is awesome. And then by doing that, she's able to break through a gate that lets her into an underground utilities corridor that doesn't sense any foul play because that's where she would need to go to work on the security equipment that she's claiming to have worked on or come to work on in the first place. So it, you know, she's not just like breaking in in like a cat burglar way. It's very much more heisty than some of the other stuff we've seen her do, <laughs> which I think mm-hmm. is fun. She also uses a stolen Osberry that she she specifically says is a stolen Osberry to help her mm. navigate through the facility, which I don't have. I mean, I, I 
I have curiosity about, but don't have questions about. Like, I don't know what to think of that based on other things we see. So just interesting that she has an Osberry. I I can say that my first thought was that it was Harry's, but I, I, I don't know if it's Harry's because there are things that complicate that. Well, it's cool, I think, because it works either way, right? Because we just had Harry having an Osberry mention, and it's a name that you hear and remember because it's a weird name. And so, like, hearing both of those back-to-back, you're going to connect those dots. But it also is a prison that is, like, kind of owned or set up by Norman Osborn. And so, of course, they're going to use Oscorp technology. So, like, why wouldn't she break, you know, steal a piece of Oscorp technology to get into another Oscorp technology thing, right? Like, it works either it, – it works – you can question it either way, I think, which is kind of a clever thing for them to do. Because it's an Osborn thing, and that's what this show does. <laughs> mm-hmm. It could mm-hmm. be Harry's. It could not be Harry's. It works either way. <laughs> yeah. Is this the bit where, like, she's like, wow, like, breaking into prison is so easy. I bet breaking out of prison is this easy, too. Yeah. If it is, little Felicia will be one felicitous, felonious feline. Yeah. She says that as she's, like, walking through the, the corridor, and I'm pretty sure it's right here. It's great. Again, we get, and we're only going to get more alliteration <laughs> in this episode, among other things. Yeah. Yeah. So watching Spider-Man in the vault, Jameson celebrates that he hasn't moved, Spider-Man that is, hasn't moved in over an hour. Spider-Man's just been like sitting on the ceiling. And I fully thought that we were going to get some sort of like weird technology loop camera thing going on. Me too. I forgot what happened in this one. And I was like, is that how he gets out? Yeah, (laughs) I I fully expected that because because you're wondering like why he would cuz well I was I was like wondering why he would agree to this so I was like oh okay well if he ended up just tricking them anyway like that makes sense to me um but that's not what happens <laughs> uh he's just been sitting there so Jameson's like stoked about this he says like you know you beat him you know you got him and uh doesn't really get much of a response because while he's celebrating Norman gets a phone call we only know that it's from Mencken we don't get any information about what it's about we just know that Norman has to excuse himself not the first time we've seen this happen um Mencken calls Norman leaves bada bing bada boom right so in the cell Spider-Man is debating about what to do next he's like well I can't be here forever because I told Liz I would be at the performance. So at the very least, we know that he's not just totally absent-minded. He does know what night it is, and he does know where he's supposed to be. He just fully overestimates his ability, I think. Yeah. And is confident in his ability. Um, So he's trying to figure out, like, should I just surrender and say, like, all right, guys, you got me. Let me out. Or should I try to actually, like, make a move and just get out of the vault? Because I'm pretty sure I could. Um, And that's kind of, like, where his head is at. Yeah, I guess if I'm going to be a little more empathetic, like as dumb as it is to like schedule all this stuff on the same night, I've also been there where I overextend myself and vastly overestimate how much time or vastly underestimate rather how much time it takes to do a given task. And I guess this is just that on that extreme level, like, oh, no, I can like get all this done and then still have time to drive over to this thing and do this favor for this person. And then like everything goes wrong and that's like such so quintessential peter parker it's just like on just such an extreme level in this case it's on an extreme <laughs> level because the thing that he's certain he can do is break out of an incredibly high-tech vault meant to right. keep prisoners in right like that's <laughs> buddy that is a thing that you schedule your entire night for and then plan to like have some have some celebrations afterwards because it was going to be hard like or <laughs> come on if man. you're me you don't agree at all <laughs> Fair, 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 fair. But I do like that we at least get that little bit where he, you know, because 
we've said, you know, he's not a good boyfriend, but he does treat Liz better than he's treated girlfriends we've seen him have in other iterations. And then we True. learn like, okay, he's not great at it, but Liz is understanding. And so it's nice to at least see that he's not totally absent-minded here. Like he is aware of the situation he's putting himself in. It just might not be wise. He at least knows what yeah. he's doing. Yeah, definitely. He's not the worst. Well, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I guess, okay, Kenny's still there. <laughs> yeah. And Sally's yeah. still there. I <laughs> yeah. can't imagine they're better partners. I don't really know. Speaking of, <laughs> at the school auditorium, we cut back to there, and uh, Sally arrives, and she's sitting right near where the Allens were sitting, and she points the out- very to- hot Allens. Liz Dude, and Mark's parents right? are hot. <laughs> I mean, look at their kids, though. Was it a surprise? Okay, fair. Like- <laughs> but my God, well, you, you know, that means that they're like, they have everything. Like, they're wealthy, they're hot, like, their kids are smart. I mean, like, what? What? <laughs> wow. Okay. But that honestly, okay, looking, way too, looking way too <laughs> deeply into the hotness of Liz's parents, but I think that that kind of um, explains even more Liz's attraction to Peter because he's so far out of her, what seems to be almost kind of like a perfect world. I mean, of her yeah. brother has serious problems. Like, well, but no, I'm think... not trying to say she has a perfect life, but the sort of like sort of superficially like plenty of money, happy, lot, lots of friends just general hotness runs in her family. Like things to generally outside of her brother, the brother situation, things go great for her. And Peter is such from such a totally different world from all of that stuff that like, there's going to be an inherent attraction to that just because it's so different and enigmatic. No, I think that makes perfect sense because I think you can very easily imagine a world where Liz is the protagonist. And a lot of her conflict comes from the fact that she lives in a quote, perfect family. And there's a lot of pressure that's involved in that. Sure. I think that affects both of the kids probably to a degree, not necessarily that it, it, it's certainly not a cause for anything that happens to Mark. Like what happens to Mark is not his fault nor his parents fault, but at least in the way that he handles some of the communication that comes with it and how he upholds his image and the way that Liz also, like you said, seeks things outside. Like you could see a world where like they appear perfect, but like if she were the protagonist, you would see otherwise. Right. Yeah. 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 In any case, they're hot. (laughs) But yeah. Anyway, Sally being Sally is like, "Mm, interesting. Mr. And Mrs. Liz Allen. Uh, Looks like Liz's (laughs) boyfriend isn't here yet. Isn't that interesting and weird? Maybe he's a shitty boyfriend, isn't he? (laughs) Maybe you're a dick, Sally. (laughs) Even if you're not wrong. (laughs) No, no, it's like you're not wrong, but you shouldn't say it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's true, but he shouldn't say it. They noticed, Sally. You didn't need to announce it to the auditorium. (laughs) I know. And and her her hot parents look so sad when she says it. Because they're just like, yeah, I know. We don't like him either. (laughs) (laughs) He smells funny sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> he just has sand just dropping out of his pockets yeah. for no reason sometimes we don't really let him into the loft <laughs> <laughs> we've never seen him inside he probably that could be true yeah uh, yeah I don't know. peter is oh, liz's yeah. rebel phase <laughs> oh god yeah liz you can definitely do better <laughs> Speaking of can do better, uh, we also see Glenn Mm -hmm. at the play. And, you know, she's got a seat. And Harry's butler, I think who has the same name as the the Spider-Man Raimi movies butler. It's Bernard uh, Houseman, I believe. He shows up. 
And she's like, oh, you're here? Like, I thought Harry's parents were going to be here. And he's like, no, they both of them are, are busy. They have other obligations. And she's, like, sad for Harry about it because she knows what's up. Yeah. Yeah. No, she totally gets it. Well, we cut backstage because Spooky. the show, I mean, if the audience is there, the show is very, very ready to start. But Mr. Devereaux announces that Harry still hasn't shown up and no one has told him where Harry is. And so Mr. Devereaux's solution, bad director, by the way, <laughs> if this is your solution, what are you doing, man? Uh, his solution is to go on himself and play Puck himself. Mr. Devereaux will be the star. And Glory, sensible as she is, is like, um... You know, Hobie knows the role. Also, wh- where's the understudy? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a high school. Not all high, high, high. I wouldn't count on high school productions having understudy. My college didn't even have understudies half the time. And Why? I, uh, because we were small. I mean, we were very small. Like, we barely had enough. I mean, sometimes we wouldn't have enough people auditioning for the play, you know? And you're mocking Mr. Devereaux for wanting to take take the part in the play, but... That happened to, to a show that I was in in college, actually. You were a student um, director, though. <laughs> you weren't like a 16 No, no, not man. me. I wasn't a show that I directed. It was a show I was in. But it was a student director. But it still was like one of the actors got really sick at the last minute. So the director played his part and did it very badly, I might add. He was terrible. I still, was so bad. I still so bad. feel like that's very different than like a 60-year-old man being like, I will star in the role of this. That's fair play <laughs> that's fair especially for like puck which is like i feel like when you're comparing like high schoolers to like puck like that's the worst role that the old guy should be playing <laughs> and i also th- am i i'm i'm not wrong in that we are supposed to think mr Devereaux is being ridiculous oh yeah no i'm not defending him especially like at a school like midtown which i think is like a pretty, I mean, they even said that they had a really good theater magnet. So, like, they should have understudies in this case. Uh, they really should. Yeah. But it's still a high school. They do dumb things sometimes. So, I don't know. Maybe the understudy is, is doing Mark's job as the spotlight person. I don't know. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. It is lucky, though, that, like, Hobie happened to have played this in a community production. <laughs> so we I get love a little it. Bit of, no, I love it, too, because it gives yeah. us a little bit more background into Hobie. Which we don't need. Like, we don't need background on Hobie. Like, he has thus far served a very specific purpose in this show. So the fact that we know he is a football player who also does community theater, I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, too. I love the fact, too, that it's like he did community theater and played Puck in a community theater. And when this was going up in his high school, he still was just cast in, like, such a minor role that it doesn't even matter that he's pulled out of that role. Like I have to, I mean, I'm sure that they grab someone else to play that role that could double up on roles because it's such a small role that it's just probably like two or three lines or something. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> oh yeah. That's where oh, it's yeah. easy to shuffle people around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Uh, you're one extra and you're going to play two extras tonight. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean, Puck is a very different story because that's like the whole show. So <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> but somebody would have just stepped in and played Hobie and their own part. One thing I also think is funny is flash is like, no, yeah, he could totally do that. He back, you know, he, he stepped in for Harry on the football field. Like as if that's, at all related. I think it's, it's hilarious. So great. Because he doesn't, <laughs> it's I mean, it's, so it good. makes sense for Flash because, like, he doesn't yeah. get it. Like, it's going to be the same thing to him. Totally. You know? And he's great. standing up for his friend, right? Like, he's like, yeah, he mm-hmm. did such a good job in the football thing. Like, he could do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. 
Uh, but in any case, you know, they a couple folks say like, yeah, Hobie can do this. Um, Hobie doesn't say anything this whole time. He actually looks like kind of like surprised by all this. But Mr. Devereaux is like, yeah, okay, that's that's fine. Looking slightly disappointed, he can't star in the show. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny. It was so unnecessary to have his character be like this and like to give him the, that dimension. But it's yeah. just like, no, he's just Fully... like he's totally just like a stereotype of just like yeah. uh, up uptight arrogant actor but it's great it works there's (laughs) nothing else like that in this show so it's perfect yeah yeah he's he's over the top for sure yeah (laughs) so back at the prison spider-man does begin his escape he uh, webs up the cameras he breaks a light he attaches a web cartridge to some of the wiring um and then tranquilizer gas is being released into the cell because that's like their safety measure apparently I think like the warden is it's it's I believe it's Ben Diskin that's voicing him. It sounds like him. And he's like doing the most menacing voice for this just just this warden of a prison. He's like super excited about like like send in the gas or whatever like throughout it. I don't know. uh, I feel like if you're the warden of like a prison that keeps uh, like super villains, you're probably sort of fucked up. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Well, in any case, he's very excited about sending the tranquilizer gas out. The masked prison guards arrive, assuming that Spidey's, you know, probably passed out from the gas. They open up the vault to investigate. They find that the web cartridge actually fully exploded. So, like, the entire vault is covered in webbing in a really kind of cool way. Like, it looks like a spider layer kind of situation. Love it. Great. But also, weirdly, there's no gas present. They're like, okay, weird. They see, like, what they think is a cocoon containing Spidey that's, like, bulging out. So they're like, oh, yeah, we got him. Break it open. But actually, that co- that cocoon was just, like, all of the gas that's come out, like, bubbled up. So <laughs> I instead, love it's great. It's so smart. So instead, all the gas, like, blasts into their face. Spidey was actually just behind a bed sheet that was covered in webbing. Also smart. And he make- yeah. And I think he, like, knocks their, knocks their gas masks off, so they're hit by the gas. And he makes a break for it. Yep. Yeah, I like – this is why it's, like – I, I don't buy that you would be here, but this is also cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not mad we got it. <laughs> I mean, as an exercise to, like, prove his abilities, it's a great one in that sense because it's just, like, let's see all the cool shit that I can do. And, yeah, look how cool I am. <laughs> and he does it quickly. Like, that's the thing. He, he sat there for an hour after after examining the whole vault because Jameson said he did nothing for an hour and Spidey says that he examined the whole thing then he decides like all right well I guess I'm gonna have to like do this do this and then does all of this in a matter of minutes (laughs) this is their high-tech vault (laughs) yeah and this is like their heist episode essentially and they get to pull out all that cool stuff all the cool stuff and I do I guess like it's it's still kind of a weak rationalization for it but Spidey says repeatedly how 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 into like, just proving all the people that hate him wrong, like, because Jameson is there to watch all of this, and he doesn't really love Norman Osborn either. So, like, I think that, like, part of the part of his rationalization for doing this in the first place, again, it's still weak, but I think part of the rationalization that they're trying to present is that, like, he also just wants to just fuck with Jonah and make him, make him like, look even worse than he already does uh, by doing cool stuff and showing how how cool he is, you know? Yeah. Like, to kind of rub it in his face. Like, it's not, again, not justifiable for the extreme lengths that this episode has to go for setting this up. Mm-hmm. But I do think that they try to make it very clear that, like, 
honestly, what's really driving Spider-Man isn't the desire to get out. It's the desire to, like, just rub it in J. Jonah Jameson's face. And even Norman Osborn's face for being able to get out of his prison. Yeah, at the very, very, very least, if I'm giving the most credit possible, at the very least, Peter's just being an absolute idiot in this episode by agreeing to this. Yeah. But I still am not necessarily willing to give enough credit for that to be <laughs> that to be it <laughs> but i get where you, i i see what you're saying I, I i don't object to that being something that that peter might be enticed by i don't think that they forgot the motivation i think that they tried to seed in some motivations and they just aren't strong enough or clear enough to make us satisfying as people analyzing the episode ultimately but uh, but yeah, so Spidey's running through the facility. The warden assures a, of course, very angry Jameson that, you know, <laughs> getting out of the cell was only half the battle. He is, Spider-Man is still in a very high-tech prison. However, the further Spider-Man progresses, uh, the less the facility begins to operate properly. So, like, it's having all these weird glitches. It's, like, failing to activate a lockdown measures. And it's basically, like, making it easier for Spider-Man to get through the things that he was supposed to test. Captain Stacy theorizes right off the bat that, like, I think your prison's been hacked, buddy. Seems like you don't actually have any control. And we learn very quickly the person who is in control is actually Green Goblin, who is poking around on an Osberry and reveals that he is behind the hack. Which was a surprise to me, because I thought that the fact that Black Cat was fucking around with the security was the reason that the security wasn't working properly for Mm Spider-Man, right? So the fact that they then cut out, and I bring this up because I sort of put a pin in this earlier, the fact that Green Goblin is out there fucking with the security with an Osberry (laughs) really caught me off guard because I was like, well, that's Harry's Osberry. And you know I've been trying to to behave myself and just assume that if Green Goblin is there, then it's also Harry. So, you know, her, her Osberry, I don't know. Who's is yeah. it? Is it Peter's? Is it just like a random one she got from Oscorp? I don't know. How many right. Osberries are there? <laughs> yeah. 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 It is. I mean, it's a, it's a good, like, it, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a twist necessarily, but it's a good, like, little turn because we haven't seen Green Goblin in this episode. And the fact that all, like, the glitches in the prison from the hack are benefiting Spider-Man. So, yeah, I think it's very intentional to lead you to believe it's Black Cat and to be like, oh, shit, that's right. Green Goblet is around. Like, I forgot he was even potentially yeah. a factor in all of this. And also, why would he be a factor in all of this? Which, you know, becomes a little bit clearer. Yeah. But, like, the fact that he's there, it's like, okay, this was already a complicated situation. Yeah. And this is this is a lot. So <laughs> Also, also, because I feel, okay, I just said I would behave myself, but, but. I have to point this out, and I I don't I feel like I have convinced nobody, so I'm just gonna keep doing this. We didn't see Green Goblin until Norman left. <laughs> oh yeah, and I'm not I mean, saying this because I necessarily think it's Norman, but I feel like I'm a, a raving conspiracy theorist when I talk about this show and the way that they manipulate you into thinking certain things or not being able to think anything at all, probably more accurately when Green Goblin is involved or when the Osborns in general are involved. And this is just one more example on the yeah. list of like a bazillion examples of them being like, we know you think it's Harry, but also it's wide open to be literally this other person or this other person or this other person or none of them. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I I know that you didn't love it in like the way that it was handled in the first season. I do kind of love it here because it's less like trying to be like, here's a misdirect or was that the misdirect or is this the misdirect or is it exactly what you think it is? It's more like, oh yeah, you know what you're, what's going on, but I'm just going to like just slightly, just slightly like rustle the foundation a little bit and make you question if you know what's going on. I'm not going to really fully suggest that you're wrong, but... I'm going to just, like, shake it and be like, hmm, maybe, just just say, hmm, maybe. Like, j- it's, like, just enough to, like, drive you crazy. Because it's just, like, it's not, it's never, like, overt. But yeah. It's also not so subtle that you don't notice it. But it's also, like, nothing that's relevant to the plot that's going on either. So it's just, like, I don't, what, what what's happening? What are you doing? The closest <laughs> thing to it is what they're currently doing with George Stacy and Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Where it's like, hey, look at this over here but also moving on like, (laughs) yeah. Um, And I think I'm warmer to it now knowing that this is, you know, having it happen again in a second season now that Harry's back and green goblin is back. It now feels a bit more characteristic to just the show as opposed to like, here's a thing we're trying to do as we tell this particular story. Right. And I feel like I could see if the show kept going on, them being able to build upon this while still kind of doing the same thing throughout because they could in this season reveal that it's Norman and then do the exact same thing all over again in another season or introduce Hobgoblin, right? Especially mm-hmm. considering the Hobgoblin is shrouded in mystery. Oh, and we've God, seen yeah, characters in this series that you could consider. Like now that it's it's sort of come back and it's come back in a similar way, I feel less I, I feel less weird about it or less like played, I guess, but like not That's played good. at the same time. Cause I think what what it was was like it's it's this like, are you playing me or are you not playing me? And like what are you trying to do yeah. here? Right. But now I think it's sort of fleshed out a bit as just like a th- theme is not the right word, a constant in the show. And if that's the case, like, okay, keep building on it. I I might even love it if it ends up really catching me off guard. We'll see. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you say that because I was going into this when we when we recorded that last season. I was a little bit worried because I knew that you know this the goblin mystery stuff comes back in almost almost the exact same way as it was handled in the first season in terms of how they kind of handle the weird misdirects of the mysteries and stuff. So I was like, God, I hope he's not going to be like bummed that like the second season like then returns to that at the very end of like doing the goblin stuff again. So I'm glad that you're like well, appreciating it in, in this particular sense of how it's, and I know like obviously part of the first season was how it ended too. Yeah. And you haven't seen where it goes, but like, the, I'm glad that it's not like that seeing that they're doing something similar isn't affecting your enjoyment out of like fear of how it's going to end. Like it's um, more interest of how it's going to end. Right. Yeah. Can no, I, it, it, it hasn't so far. Right. Like, I, and I, yeah. it could be, I mean, there's multiple variables, right? I mean, the fact that it is a second time, it could just be like, okay, now I I'm used to it. Right. Like it could just be yeah. like, it's not going to hit me as hard a second time around. Or it could be the fact that I think this is, this isn't as um, like, this is so far. And I know it's only been two episodes. It doesn't feel like it's been a main sort of, focus and i don't know if that's just because i've already experienced it or if they're writing it you know intentionally differently and putting other things in the foreground more than they did last time or what um but for some reason it doesn't it doesn't bother me as much and i I don't know why but i'm just glad it doesn't yeah yeah 
Good. I'm glad. It's fun. It still drives me crazy. <laughs> I think it's it's supposed to though. I think that that's I think more so than the first season. I think I think the goblin stuff this time is supposed to drive you crazy because it's it's less about like you're trying to solve the mystery. It's more like, come on, we already figured this out. Why are you doing this to me again? Stop it. What are you doing? Like it's more like that and not in a frustrating way, but just in in like in but you that still it's can't just trust like it. what even right, though, even though right, you've exactly. already gotten the answer, you still can't trust it because because right. there are still umpteen different ways that it could not be Harry. Exactly, <laughs> and I think yeah, exactly. I think that's I think it's really I think it's really smart what they're doing this time around. Yeah, I I dig it honestly. And I, when I first watched it, I was kind of in your same I was in the same boat as you were, where I was just sort of like, okay, so like, is this what what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> when I when I watched it, yeah, why are we so. doing this? <laughs> but yeah, now I think it's yeah. yeah, now it's a staple, right? Where it's just sort of like, okay, like what are you doing this time? And I assume it would have happened again, and I would have been like, all right, what are we doing this time? And I think if it had always sort of been the same thing, it would have bothered me, or would have continued to bother me. But I can't imagine that they would just keep doing it and have it be the same thing every single time. Even if it's the same thing this time, we know that they plan for more than two seasons. So I can accept (laughs) it if it's the same thing this time. I can still accept it, I think, or stomach it more easily than the first time around. Yeah, it'll be funny if it's like we get to season six and it's just like, and it's like, oh, Goblin's back. But is it Harry this time or Norman this time? And it's like, oh, it's Harry. And it's like, yeah, he was the Goblin like the first, third and fifth time. Like what? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm positive that they wouldn't (laughs) go in that direction. I have faith. I have faith. Anyway, um, God, where were we? Uh, So Goblin's around now. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, so we know Goblin's around. Uh, Spidey, of course, is attempting to escape the facility. Uh, He's going through an elevator shaft, uh, but then he's forced to make an early exit because the Goblin sends the elevator car careening after him. So um, the floor he ends up on is, of course, one with a bunch of prisoners. In this case, lots of prisoners that Spidey was responsible for putting away. It's a bunch of familiar faces. They heckle him, of course. And like the dumb, dumb teenage boy he is, he heckles them back only to have the cells open by Green Goblin moments later. And I knew it was going to happen, and I wasn't even mad about it, because I was like, you're being stupid. (laughs) Yep. And I think there's even somebody who says, like, did you literally just come here to gloat? Like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Right, right, right. It's great. And I think this this is the one where it cuts to commercial break, cutting back to Sally saying, finally, we're getting started. Yep. As the, uh, as the curtain goes up. Great. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons, Katie, Joe, Greg, Mike, Flux, Eric, Carl, and Lily. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. 
ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway. So recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. Yep, so we do briefly cut back to Midtown because, like you said, Sally makes this proclamation that things are getting going, right? So uh, the play begins, uh, but we don't really stick around there. It's just to continue, <laughs> continue where they left off. At the prison, though, the now loose prisoners begin to attack Spider-Man. He restrains most of them handily, but as you would expect, they're all ones that we don't know. Like, they're just, like, extra prisoners. All the ones we would recognize, like Silvermane, the Enforcers, and Quentin Beck, manage to avoid capture. And smartly, they team up. Uh, Montana reveals... A th- <laughs> this is so funny to me, because it, it poses so many questions. Montana reveals that Beck is actually a Mysterio android, not Quentin Beck. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and... Using this Mysterio android, they're actually able to slow Spider-Man down because he was, I mean, he was dominating, dominating the prisoners um, because none of them have their gear. None of them really have their superpowers. Ox is big, (laughs) but other than that, they're all just like dudes. So a Mysterio android on their side really ups the stakes. Yep, yep, yep. I was really expecting this episode to like, at some point... They were going to like go find their weapons like stored in a in a chest or something somewhere. I'm glad that oh, didn't happen. Oh, I didn't that even think of that. Silly. Yeah, or like that Mysterio had them like stored inside of him or something somehow. Like, so I was I was I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised yeah. they didn't go that route because it would have been a little too silly and unbelievable, honestly. Um, and I think it would have been too much because I don't think Spider-Man could have handled it. Yeah, so I'm glad I'm glad that most most everyone he fights is just fighting them like without their special gadgets and stuff yeah one android is like kind of the perfect thing and the fact that it's mysterio fits in perfectly because he's been such a bizarre weirdo this whole time and he's Mm -hmm. done this before with the prison at this point is there even a quentin beck like like like, where is he that's a question where is he (laughs) is he even a person i bet we'll never know (laughs) yeah Does he talk the entire time? I don't think Mysterio ever says a single no, word. He doesn't say anything yeah. this episode. Couldn't get uh, Xander Berkeley back <laughs> uh, for, for that episode. I mean, it's fine. He's an android. Yeah. But he doesn't need to. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the Mysterio android is uh, is, is fighting Spidey now. Um, as he's trying to kind of evade the attacks, uh, Black Cat breaks into a cell where a prisoner remains. And back at the security room... If that's what it is, wherever wherever all all the all the all the observation people are. Yeah, I don't really know um, what that is. Yeah, it's some kind of weird. I mean, I think it's security like a surveillance rooms. room. Surveillance room. Yeah, that that works. That works. Captain Stacy calls out Jameson for rooting against Spider-Man. There's actually a funny line because Mysterio has his fun homunculi gargoyle dudes out fighting again. So I have a whole list of not of of the things that they say that I can get to in a bit, but. Jameson's like, I love these guys. They should get their own show. This episode is written by Greg Weissman, who made Gargoyles. The homunculi are like sort of gargoyle-like things. So shout out to yourself, Greg. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Call out to the show that should exist that you already made. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, the prisoner Black Cat is trying to break out, reveals himself to be her father. Well, he doesn't. He reveals himself. He doesn't reveal his face because his face is in shadow the entire time, which... 
I don't like. I think it's. I think it's unnecessary and silly, personally. But uh, I don't think it's necessary. But I don't think it bothered me. I, um, I think for me, it ended up being kind of distracting, if only because it calls, I think, more attention that was necessary mm. to the fact that we're supposed to not know who he is. That makes sense. When yeah. a when we learn who he is, like, I don't think anybody would have would have put two and two together and recognized him because a lot of the faces on the show look really similar because they're yeah, so simplistic. It's an unreveal. Yeah, and I don't think you would have, like, remembered either. Like, it's a reveal. It's a good reveal in who it's revealed to, but, like, I don't think it was necessary for us. None of us were going to remember who he well, was, it's a Well, it's a reveal because they tell us. It's not a reveal yeah. because they show us. Like, there's no, yeah. like, gasp when you see his face. <laughs> and I think if they never, if they didn't do, if they didn't make it a big, if they didn't put him in shadow and they just, like, had a prisoner sitting in a cell and Black Cat shows up, you would have just been like, oh, the re- the reveal is that it's Black Cat's dad. Like, that's all. You wouldn't have thought that – but this calls attention to, like, um, no, there's more to him because he's in the shadows. But I wonder, like, if she popped into his cell and you could just see him, I imagine the reaction would be like, okay, so who's that guy? So I, I kind of get why they do it, but I maybe they're sort of hmm. just, like, stuck because there has been no seating for this character at all, really? Yeah. So I don't know. Like – I, I definitely get what you're saying because there is no there's no gasp, right? It packs no punch whatsoever until you're told why it should. Um, yeah. But I also am like trying to imagine the situation where she like drops down and there's just like this old white guy and you're like, oh, a guy. <laughs> so I don't know. No, like I maybe think it's it still meant works to be a little she, bit of something where there was like nothing really. I think it would still work because she drops down and it's a guy and you're like, what? And then she's like, hey, daddy. And you're like, oh, <laughs> like, and then, that's true. And, th- and then you're just like, okay, that's an interesting, interesting thing that she's rescuing her dad. That's going to be like complicated trying to like break a prisoner out while Spidey's also trying to break out. Right. And then you don't even expect that there's going to be a greater connection to Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. But I think having the shadow there calls out that there's supposed to be more that you're paying attention to with this guy. That's true. And I think that that lessens what. It's honestly a really cool reveal otherwise. Yeah, you could just skip the beat entirely. And I, I like your – yeah, I like what you just did where it's like skip that whole thing and just have her greet him immediately. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Again, it's set up for cool – for another cool thing that this show does. So it's – I'm ultimately okay with it. It was just sort of a strange – it's sort of a detail that was just unnecessary. I'd say don't make it a habit, Greg, but sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Don't make it a habit into your other shows that aren't canceled. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, the other reveal that happens in, to Black Cat uh, is that Spider-Man is in the prison and she's just like, ooh, ooh, interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, so after she gets this news and is like, huh, Montana actually manages to lasso Spidey. It is very interesting to me that the enforcers who we have like, kind of historically ranked at the bottom (laughs) uh, of a lot of lists frequently give Spider-Man the roughest time. They have like a decent amount of success against him. Huh. I guess because it's simply, I think it's simply because it's three guys, like as opposed to one person that Spidey's fighting. I guess so. You know? Yeah. In any case, he lassos Spidey, which then allows Fancy Dan to like kick him pretty hard throws him off balance, and then Ox steps in to secure a bear hug. I guess they're just like a really smooth team. Like they just, they they don't really have to talk. They just do the thing, you know? So I guess it makes sense. Anyway. Um, I need need to add that Montana calls out that 
the 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 lasso is made out of bed sheets that he spent a lot of time rolling up, and it just. He just got lucky that he had an opportunity to use them as a lasso. I didn't even think about it. I just, I just assumed as much. I don't even think I caught that detail. I just figured that's what it was. Yeah. It's just like so silly. It's like good thing I wrapped up all these bed sheets, and I'm just like, okay, get a hobby, yeah. please. I mean, I guess that is your hobby. I don't uh, weird hobby. He's a cowboy. Um, yeah, he's a cowboy. It's true. Um, also, love Spidey getting Axe's mustache with his webbing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So while while Spider-Man is bear hugged, Silvermane's like, ah, perfect. And he sort of like does the the Henry Cavill like fist cock thing, like ready to like punch the shit out of Spider-Man. But mm-hmm. this is where Black Cat steps in, interrupts their fight, and actually helps Spider-Man fend them all off. And she does this successfully enough that they are able to get back into the cell she came from and like lock basically lock themselves inside uh, with a buttload of webbing. Because Spider-Man even comments like this door won't close properly, presumably because Green Goblin wants them open. <laughs> yup. So they're locked in. Yeah, so they're all in there together. Cut back to Midtown. The play is continuing, and big momentous reveal of this episode, Hobie can speak. Hobie speaks. Yes, and like you said at the beginning, all of his lines in this episode are just Puck's lines, and his performance is Puck. Mm-hmm. And this is an interesting thing. So we get a scene between Hobie as Puck, Glory, who's playing Cobweb, who's like a fairy assistant to Titania, I think. And the way that they're decked out is that Hobby's Puck costume, Hobby, <laughs> Hobie's Puck costume is basically the green goblin. He's all green. He's got like kind of goblin ears. He's a little more of like a satyr aesthetic, I guess, but definitely green goblin because he's purple and green. And Glory is decked out in a very Spider-Man-esque outfit. She looks dope. It's a cool costume. She needs man. to get it's powers so cool. immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I do have like one one fun. I have like actually have a couple of of fun little uh, Greg Weissman quotes that I, that I found today. I, it's funny because his um first of all he said that they didn't decide on doing Midsummer Night's Dream for like the big play until after they did the auditions. Like that's why the audition episode that we saw earlier. Mm-hmm was a bunch of Shakespeare plays because they knew sure. they wanted to do a Shakespeare play, but they were like, Midsummer Night's Dream, like, that's the one that everyone knows. That seems too obvious. Um, but then, like, because of their I kind of figured that's are... why they did it. Well, I think that's what they landed on is that it's also too perfect because there's so many lines in there that they use in this episode to reflect, like, Spider-Man's world. Like, there's even one that, like, references an ox that they put to ox, like, all the goblin stuff, which I think... They they refer to Puck as a ho- as a hobgoblin in the original play, and then in this in this version of it, they change it to goblin just to make the connections more apt. Yeah. But what he says in an interview, because obviously like this is so like clear, um, he says that like in universe he wanted the uh, he wanted Saint John Devereux as director to want to make this show contemporary, and his idea of it being contemporary was by referencing the superheroes and supervillains that like were common in the world. So it was his intent to be like, this would be a very clever artistic thing to do that would capture the teen audiences. It was to be to reference Spider-Man and Green Goblin. Everyone knows them, which is silly, but I think it's also like kind of clever because you have to imagine if you're living in a world with superheroes and supervillains, that would be like the common thing that everyone knows and talks about. So if some like, director who's out of touch with the teens wants to do stuff that the teen that to like reflect being contemporary that the teens will be into it's going to be like well everyone knows the spider-man fellow so we'll just reference him in our show 
all right. <laughs> I don't really know what to do with that, but okay. <laughs> I thought it was just kind of cute. I like that there's – because it, it, you could have just left it as just like, oh, that's funny. They look like Spider-Man and Green Goblin in the play. But I like that they thought through like, no, this is – St. John Devereaux, like, he's not he's, – he's kind of a full-of-himself director, and this, this is yeah. what he wanted to do. I mean, I but guess like, like – <laughs> I guess I'm happy there is an explanation because I'll fully admit, like, I was confused as to why they looked the way they did and was fully counting on you to be like – I know why they look like this because here's the metaphor. Um, because I was like, <laughs> I don't know why they look like this, and I I don't really care. <laughs> like they look yeah. cool, but I don't I don't you know like it could have just been the play, and I don't think I would have would have cared that much. So I'm like glad there's an explanation, but I I'm surprised it isn't like um, deeper than that. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I think it's another it's another thing that's like why I feel like this episode is so writery in a way that like is like so over the top. But I also love that. It's just like, it's not just a metaphor. It's like the, the metaphor is that the director thought of the metaphor, like in, <laughs> in the, in the universe that he created, this character that I created thought of these characters, you know, it's like, there's so many like, like silly layers to it. Yeah. I love it. Like, don't, I, don't get me wrong. I think I, it's pretentious as fuck, but like, that's yeah. the stuff that I'm, I live for well, honestly, like yeah, and I <laughs> I, think I don't I really. It. So like I I I it's one of those things where it's like I appreciate what you're doing, but like there was a little bit of this in the um in the Venom the most recent Venom episode where I was like I appreciate what you're doing here, like I appreciate the work that goes into it. I guess is the way to put it, but it doesn't actually serve the episode for the vast majority of people watching it. So sure. it's like it serves such a small population that like sure have fun do your thing like I'm not gonna tell you not to. But sometimes I just question where I'm like, what? like, like, okay, like I guess the best way to put it is how I put this, where I'm like, I don't really know what to do with it. So like, I cool, like I'm glad you had fun, <laughs> but I don't know what it's entirely what it's here for. So well, um, it's here for people like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing, like even with the Venom episode, like the vast majority of people watching, children or adult, will not know Midsummer Night's Dream. Like they're not going to know the story. So, like, uh, the vast majority of people watching the show, like, they're not pulling any sort of, like, symbolism out of the show if it's there. Yeah. And uh, and so that, that's where I say, like, I appreciate the work that goes into it because, like, I think you should you should put yourself into the things you create, right? Mm-hmm. But then I, I don't – I just end up not knowing totally what to do with it. But it doesn't, it doesn't hurt it. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I just end up sitting yeah. there, like, kind of scratching my head a little bit and being like, all right, well, that's probably something cool. Um, <laughs> like – I mean, I think it's a fine attitude to have. It's just sort of like, okay, whatever. This isn't for me. There yeah. you go. Have fun with you guys. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fine. I, I dig it. It's like I said, it's pretentious, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> Give me the pretentious. Look, look, look. In in superhero cartoons, like you never find that's that that stuff. Like that's yeah. you never they never like I love don't. I love that like this like English major bullshit is in my Spider-Man cartoon. Like, give me more, man. I love it. I love it. Inject <laughs> it directly into my veins, dude. <laughs> yeah well okay i mean yeah i i just uh yeah is there okay <laughs> let me fine. ask you, it's not for you there no, no, isn't no, no, i have a legitimate question it. no i have a little legitimate question though like okay so you said that they didn't decide on midsummer night's dream and this is where i'll i'll, I'll pick up i'll pick a little bit right okay because I, I i can just walk away and say like it's not for me but i do think it's worth asking this question he said that they didn't choose midsummer night's dream until later is there something about midsummer night's dream that does provide context or add dimension to the stories that they've been telling aside from just pulling quotes that reference 
venomous or or ox or goblin because like when we were talking about the monologues um there were some quotes that we were like oh that makes a lot of sense because they're talking about transformation or they're talking about villainy or like sort of like a darkness or whatever but then there were some that were like oh they well they happen to say the word venom right is there something about midsummer night's dream that makes it right for this or is it just the amount of wordplay that they're able to do, which isn't bad. I'm just curious. I don't think that there's one like cohesive whole theory on why Midsummer Night's Dream as a whole is like any kind of a direct parallel for this stuff. Like the meaning of Midsummer Night's Dream or whatever, I don't think really is what's meant to like be a clear parallel or what we're meant to like sort of learn something from or whatever in, in context of the show. I think it is, I think it is related to like pieces of it. And I don't think it's just wordplay. I think it's a lot of that stuff. Um, but I think like, I think Flash is the best example and probably the, the biggest one where it's like the character that he's playing from A Midsummer Night's Dream is almost sort of reflecting the character arc he's going through because he's playing a big doofus that he as a character in order to play that character in the show, he has to sort of like let go of his own like... um he has to let go of his own, like, his own bullshit, essentially. Like, he has to let go of his own um, like, self-aggrandizement and stuff. And get over his ego to play a character like that. And in that show, it's a character who, like, has to kind of get over his own shit, too, right? Sure. Um, who's kind of put in his place in a similar way. So I think I think those parallels are there. And mm-hmm. I don't think you're, you see that for every single character. But I do think that there's a theme in this play being put on and, like, everyone's sort of, like, being able to sort of grow within the roles that they I like okay i think i think it fits the whole se- the theme of the season in that by putting on this this play and i guess this would go for putting on any play but i think because of the roles that are in this play in particular like it's reflecting how this whole season has been all the supporting cast like learning to grow out of the roles that they thought they were in prior and almost like disrupt the entire social order of 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 high school essentially so it's not so much like the play itself. It's not so much a Midsummer Night's Dream and what it means. It's more like the fact that they are doing this play where they have these particular roles they have to play and the characters that they're playing against is what's meaningful out of it. And I think it was more like this play was chosen because it had the most opportunities to reflect what the characters were doing and to put them in positions that parallel the real world. So like, it's not a wholesale thing. It's mm-hmm. definitely more of a piecemeal thing. And, and yeah, which, which, you know, I think makes it a little bit harder because like, it does feel a little bit more like, okay, you're just doing this to be cute. Like there isn't a deeper well, meaning in it. And I think that's fair, but I do think the individual things that work really well, like, like with flash, for example, I think work really, really well. See, and that's so, no, that's cool. Like, that's cool. I think that's good to know. And it's, I'm glad I asked because, because if it ends up, if the sort of end result is like, it was cute, then it's like, okay, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. Like do your thing, but I, I'm not going to do anything with it. I don't need to, I don't need to be the one to find the galaxy brain stuff, but if it's there, I'll appreciate it. You know what I mean? Like you could, you could, I, I could need it spoon fed to me and it doesn't change how much I appreciate it. Um, if it's mm-hmm. there, I love to know it. And I think that that stuff is cool. Um, and it, it provides, if it can provide like new ways to sort of look at and analyze the characters, then like, yeah, hell yeah. Give it to me. Like I, <laughs> I want to know, right. Um, mm-hmm. Whether I can identify it myself or if somebody has to like package it up for me. Um, yeah. so no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that's the case. I'm glad that there are things that you can sort of like maximize, not maximize, but like 
you can sort of unpack a little bit more with certain characters or what they're going through based on it. Cause you know, like I, I'll, I'll admit like I was a little worried that it was, it was going to be like just wordplay, but I figured you'd have some sort of insight beyond that. So I'm glad that yeah. there is some. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you're being down on it or anything either. Like I think it, I think it makes sense because it is a thing that's like unique to a show like this. And it, and it definitely isn't, it isn't necessary. Like I think it's, but I, uh, I think it's cool. I think it's cool that it's here. And I think it's one of the really unique flavors that this show has that I don't feel like I've ever seen in any other show like this. Well, and I think that's a thing that makes me not down on it because I recognize that if it's something unique, there's probably a reason, right? Whether I get the reason or not. And I definitely would never advocate that the only things that should go into entertainment are things that are necessary. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want that to be an argument that I make, but I, I always want something to like serve or enhance. Right. Um, so like there are things like, uh, like, uh, well, I guess some of the stuff that they do with, with green goblin sometimes, or even what they're, what they're doing with uh, Captain Stacy, like, is it necessary for them to draw some of those things out? Eh, maybe not. But does it enhance what I think they're going to do? I think so, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, is, so, it, yeah. is, it nece- is it necessary for Green Goblin to be rhyming and spouting poetry? No, but it sure as hell is fun. Episode? It's fun. I love it. <laughs> love that he does yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we even mentioned that. Like, he's up until the very end, every line Green Goblin has is a rhyme. And it's sometimes they're like direct passages from Midsummer Night's Dream, but most of, a lot of the time, if not most of the time, it's just his expository dialogue. They just write it in rhyme, which is like yeah. <laughs> an, such an added extra like like um, challenge that you have to have as a writer yeah. so, that they gave themselves. But again, Greg Weissman wrote this episode. It's so like a fucking course he's going to do that. But then, I mean, like, but it's not. But what's great is it's not. And this isn't like crucial to the story necessarily. So I'm going to just say it now. What's great about it even further is that there's all that work that goes into it because you have to write it that particular way, but then it becomes a thing that he as a character is aware that he's doing and that like mm-hmm. makes it even better. Like it would have yeah. been fun if he did it through the whole episode, but the fact that it becomes a thing that was intentional and not totally meta, not this thing mm-hmm. outside the universe that makes it even more fun, kind of like the Hobie joke. The Hobie joke could have yeah. just been the Hobie joke but it ends up being even more like levels up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know what the green goblin rhyming thing, honestly, even does kind of play into like the overarching mystery and stuff, because if Harry is green goblin, it would make sense that like rhyming and poetry is going to be on his head Uh because he was in the school play and he's missing the school play to do all this bullshit. Right. So like it all, I think that that was definitely intentional. Uh huh. Didn't miss me. (laughs) Hit me right in the face. <laughs> All right. Man. Anyway, I I uh, I hope that wasn't too much of a detour, but I was curious. Um, I think glad... this episode needed a detour like that because it's such a unique episode in that well, way. I wasn't I, I wasn't sure how far along the detour I was gonna go on my own. Like I sure. like I said, I didn't know what to do with it. Right. So like if there wasn't something that felt like it was kind of already turning in that direction, like I don't know what I would have asked or where I would have gone with it. And I might've just rolled with it. And I think that probably illustrates kind of where my head was at with some of this stuff, but I'm glad that it ended up kind of getting there. And I figured that at some point it would, but I just needed to jump on it when it did. And that's cool. I mean, there's a part of me that's like, it might be neat. Uh, There's it's, it's a more academic part of me than I feel like I typically exercise anymore. But there's a part of me that's like, it would be kind of neat to like go back and read Midsummer Night's Dream and then immediately watch some of this stuff 
and see like what you can pull out of it. Cause I do like that stuff. I love like trying to find those similarities. I just don't have necessarily the retention from the Shakespeare stuff I studied to, to do it off the top of my head. So I'm like tempted, but eh, we'll see. I, I considered looking more deeply into it when we were doing this. I just kind of ran out of time because Midsummer Midsummer is not one that I've really retained in my head in the same way that like other Shakespeare plays that are like close to my heart have been. Sure. Or, or ones that I, especially ones that I've like been in productions of, like I've never been in production of Midsummer, So like, it's just not there for me as much. So like I do, I, I, I fully believe that there's probably more stuff from there that both of us are missing that are like actually might be really interesting parallels, but just ran out of time. Could be a spider bite. Who knows? Be, yeah, I mean, we want to yeah. draw. We want spectacular to last as long as possible. So, we might we might end up coming up with some wild as wild as hell spider bites. <laughs> I'm down with that. We'll see. Anyway, where are we at? <laughs> yeah. So we're at the play. We've seen Hobie speak. Oh, yeah. He's great. He's a great performer. Yeah, for, for this guy who like hasn't done a whole lot, like. Not a Shakespearean actor. I'm, I'm talking about the voice actor. Not a Shakespearean yeah. actor as uh, that I could find, and not a ton of credits to his name. And he does a really good job. It's really good. Yeah, no, the blocking the blocking is so cool because the fact that they have like Puck in a tree, like talking to Cobweb, who's who like they have glorious Cobweb, like doing this really neat like run with her like web wings that they gave her. It's like almost like she's almost doing like a, a like a Naruto run a little bit. Sometimes <laughs> it's really funny. Love a good Naruto run. I don't know. It like it's. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like I kind of want to see this production of of Midsummer. <laughs> like it looks like it's really well done. Honestly. <laughs> okay, so the other thing we get in this scene where they're back at the play is just a brief moment in the audience where Gwen texts Harry, just simply saying, "Where are you?" And then we cut back to the prison. Yes. <laughs> like, I love Gwen's old phone. That's just a giant screen that's like, Harry, where? The letter R, U, letter U. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, 2010. Yes. All right. But yeah, so back at the prison, Green Goblin sees that Black Cat is also present. So he's like, mm, okay. So he decides to up the difficulty by letting Rhino and Mark Allen out of their cells. Rhino, of course, he doesn't hesitate to cooperate. He loves just busting up stuff and beating up Spider-Man. But Mark is Mark, so he's like, I don't want to do anything. I'm, I'm in a prison. What are you going to do? Like, I love what? that. I love yeah. that he's like, I'm already in prison. What can you do to me? Like, what? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I Again, from last week still, I like Mark Allen. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, because he's not an asshole. Like, he's only, he only ever fights Spider-Man yeah. because he feels like he has to. Also, chance. how much does it suck that Mark Allen is now in, like, extra security for I what know. happened? For what happened to him? Like, I get everything that he did, but that happened to him. It really sucks. Yeah. A a 17-year-old among all of these, like, wild, old, super-powered people. Yeah. And it looks like, because he's on another level where I think, like, the super-powered people that where they can't depower them are. Mm -hmm. Like, because he's in a, he's, like, it's just him and Rhino that we see on this level. And it looks like they might be, like, solitary cells. So I think they are. Because I think this is where we saw, because remember when the, uh, I think it was the second Sinister Six situation. Yeah, I think it was. Where, no, I think it was the, fir- there was the first one. Was it the first one? Where yeah, Rhino where they... and Sandman were in, diff- they were in a totally different wing, and they were yeah. by themselves. So, yeah. I, yeah, Mark is being kept in, and it makes sense to a degree. Like, nobody knows how his powers work, so they don't know that he can or can't 
turn his molten man powers on or off. So from from where they're sitting, he's he's the same as Rhino or Sandman. You know, like he, he's he's not he doesn't have weapons you can take away. Yeah. But it sucks, yep. man. Sucks so bad. Fully agree. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> just yeah. I saw Mark Allen and I got sad. <laughs> no, I know. And what's especially because like we haven't had a chance to heal from that. Like that just happened. Yeah. And it's like bringing back the episode after for more torture. Yay. Yeah. Well, and it's. I mean, it is that. I mean, it's the same continuity. I mean, like that. That thread carries through this where he's like, I don't want to do this for you. And Green Goblin's like, Well, great. I'm gonna transform you and I'll keep you that way. Like same <laughs> right. exact threat. You know, like nothing's changed. So Mark's like. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah, it sucks, man. He's not even he's not even free in a prison. Like, you yeah. know, like there's there's a part of Mark's story where you could at least sort of think like, okay, well, if he's in prison, at least, and I know I, this isn't, I know this is more naive than I actually understand things to be, mm-hmm. but there is a part where you could be like, okay, at least he's away from the people who were manipulating him. Obviously, a prison yeah. comes with its own shit. But there is a part where you could be like, at least Blackie's not there. At least Green Goblin's not there. But no, nothing's changed. She's now locked up and being manipulated by Green Goblin. God. This is the arc of pain, man. Yep, yep, yep. But yeah, yeah. Green Goblin manipulates him by transforming him against his will and threatening to leave him that way if he doesn't go after Spider-Man. So, uh, that sucks. Yep. Oh, well. So we cut back to Black Cat's father's cell. Where Spidey, Spidey's in there with him, and he's asking why she's here. Um, and she reveals that she's here to get her father, who is Walter Hardy, the cat burglar. Which, like, okay, there you go. That's a reveal, I guess. But then Spidey recognizes Walter as the man he turned away from and who murdered Uncle Ben. Bam, there it is. <laughs> they even, like, like have a little uh, a button on this. Not a button. I don't know what word I'm looking for. They even, they call this out a little bit by having Kenny as Oberon in the play. They cut to him saying, ill met by moonlight. A proverbial exclamation point. Yeah. That's what I was, I was trying to say, like, pe- put a period on it or something. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. So what did you think of, of, of that? For a hot second, I was like, was I supposed to recognize him then? <laughs> exactly. That's where the shadow didn't fucking matter. But but I, yeah, it, it would have, and maybe that's, maybe because for a hot second, I was like, shoot, did I forget that we've seen him already? Maybe that's why it didn't bother me because I was like distracted by that thought. But yeah, no, it makes more sense when I think about it that way. Like, no, we haven't seen this guy before. So why would we recognize him? Or if we have, it's been so brief that he just looks like any other white guy on the show with right. no distinguishing like features. Um, he kind of just looks like a less gaunt, but also smaller version of Silvermane. <laughs> I was just, I was just thinking the same thing. I get the two confused in their designs. Yeah. So no, I, I yeah, I get it. But I, th- so that's kind of what my immediate reaction was. I do like the idea of it though. I like, this is another one of those things where they're sort of like playing with, with stuff. But I mean, you know, they've, they've played with uncle Ben's killer, over and over and over again so there's nothing really like sacred or like mind-blowing in that they are doing it but uh, i like that this is kind of where they went with it and i like how it serves this episode and how it um theoretically would have would have moved things around the board in the future yeah i think it was clever i think it was i honestly think it was a gutsy move because i know that they've sort of played around with uncle ben's killer but i don't think they've often 
connected him so directly to other characters outside of Spider-Man 3, which just happened before this show, and which was kind of generally met with a pretty negative response. Like, outside of the movie itself... That's a good call. Outside of the movie itself, I think, like, even if you liked the movie, I think everyone was sort of like, Sandman killed Uncle Ben now? You're just kind of going to rewrite that? that? And honestly, I I have a take on it for why I think that was actually kind of a really smart thing for them to do that I that I that I talk about in my video but oh, where can people watch that you can watch it on, on my YouTube called second chance wow um, it's really good yep, actually yep. I'm not being a jerk it's it's an amazing video <laughs> thanks it's a video called the soul of spider-man 3 it was the second video I ever did that was and honestly it was the main the re, the inception of that series was like from my what I wanted to do about spider-man talk about spider-man 3 um but I do I I do think that there's like good things that they do with it and there's a good kernel of an idea from connecting Uncle Ben's killer to like another character right but I I don't think anyone would disagree that like to get there you have to do something kind of contrived in saying like oh a guy that Peter Parker meets who also has superpowers just happens to have also killed his Uncle Ben it's a little bit contrived and I think it's a little bit better here because at least Black Cat's dad isn't, like, a superhuman that Peter happens to meet. Like, they have to do a little bit of work. He's only kind of tangentially related to Peter's life as Spider-Man. And they have to do a little work to get Peter into a place where he is going to come face-to-face with this guy again. So I think, like, it feels a lot less contrived than when Spider-Man 3 did it. It feels far less serendipitous and a bit more built up. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think the big problem with Spider-Man 3's Sandman thing too, in addition to the fact that he's fucking Sandman and gets sand powers, is the fact that like I don't think they do enough work to just be like, oh, we're hey, we're I'm the chief of police bringing you in to explain that we always knew that that your oh, uncle wow. wasn't killed by the guy that we said he was killed by, and he was actually killed by this other guy, and we just like never told you about that for some reason. Like that sucks. That was bad. That's why I think say the 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 idea was good. The concept was great. And what they did with it was good. The execution was not so good. Sure. Yeah, um, no, which is sense. kind of a lot of a lot of the problems of the whole movie. But I think the execution is good here. And I think the concept works a little bit better. Um, and just more, if, yeah, like you said, it feels less serendipitous here. Because they did, I think they had to do a lot of work to get to this point to have this reveal happen. Yeah. I do have a couple of, I have a really funny, I think this is hilarious given the conversation that we just had about like how the characters look on this show so on felicia's dad being uncle ben's killer that was something that weissman said that they knew from the beginning of the show when they created when they did the first season they knew that was always going to be a reveal and it was like it was a whole idea he actually compares it to the whole silver sable silver main thing it's a little he says it's a little bit simplistic but in the same vein Cat burglar led me into my mind to black cat who led me into the burglar, right? So I think the the ideas all make sense. But what he says was, um, it seemed ins- insignificant probably at the time, but we made sure that his hair color matched hers in episode 12, Intervention, uh, when we see the flashback, which is so funny to me because their hair is just white. And I just yeah. assume that his hair is just like white because he's gray. But then it makes me think like, Black Cat's hair, I think, often is understood to be more like platinum blonde, depending on how they're portraying her, rather than just straight up white. It just like looks white when you're doing it in a cartoon. Sure. So then that's like, is his hair just like dyed platinum blonde? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I, that feels like an overthought detail. I'm At like, least I'm just only like, because of how it lands, right? Where it's like, right, it's like we wanted so to make sure their color buddy. was the same, and it happens to be a color that every old person has. <laughs> like, 
like we were just talking about like he looks exactly like Silvermane. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's like I appreciate it. It's just like God, I love how much you cared about every aspect of this show. It's so great, but it's just so funny. It's just like we have to make the we have to make the white haired character have the same care have the same hair as the white haired character. It's like <laughs> okay. Thanks. It's funny because it's also a thing you would kind of just naturally do to related people. The Allen's parents also have the same color that their kids have. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. That's that's really funny. I just, I just like imagining like that. I just like imagining Black Cat's dad, this like old cat burglar, having like the same hair that like Spike from Buffy does or like the Billy Oh, Idol but like does when he was young. <laughs> No, like right now in prison, he just has beautiful platinum blonde hair for some reason. They just let him keep dyeing it in prison. I guess. I, but no, it I don't. Matter. I don't he's think. An old guy. <laughs> well, I guess we don't know how old he is. We don't know how old he is. But he says he's old. I don't think that that's the reality of the situation. I just like imagining that because of the hair color situation. Because they wouldn't <laughs> have thought so it. You would have just been like, he's old. He has white <laughs> exactly. hair. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> really that's funny. Yeah. Great twist, though. I think it's good. Yeah, I'm into it. Oh, boy. All right. Outside the cell, as Ox and the androids homunculi, of course, fail to break through Spidey's webbing, uh, Rhino shows up, and he's like, I'm Rhino, and he immediately rips through, revealing that the trio is already gone. Yes, yes. And this isn't really too much of a surprise, because Black Cat came in through the ceiling. So we knew there was an opening there that they probably could have escaped through anyway. That's exactly what they do. So Black Cat, Walter Hardy, and Spider-Man make their way through an air duct, and Spidey tells Black Cat... Spidey's pissed, by the way. Like, everything he says for the next, you know, X number of scenes is basically through, like, angry, gritted teeth. Yeah. Which is a good detail for them to include. Um, It's not over the top, necessarily, um, but it's very noticeable. He tells Black Cat that there is no way he's letting her bust Walter out. It's not going to happen. And I don't think she fully understands how serious he is because she is no. like pretty playful throughout the next few scenes and kind of like pokes at him a little bit as he keeps sort of making these these uh, statements. So she doesn't really think much of it as he says this. One of my favorite lines that she says when Spidey says something that's delivered very menacingly. I think, oh, no, is it the one? Oh, God, I wish I'd written down what he said. Or he's just like, uh, like not that, n- not that desperate, never that desperate. Like it's almost like he's yeah. like a raving lunatic, and and she just says, "Gee, Dad, what'd you do to this guy?" Yeah, I do like that. I think it's a little bit further up, but it like doesn't matter because it's all, gotcha. it's all kind of like in the same, it's in the same setting, and like it's a continuation of that. And I, you know, I get the delivery because it's sort of like he's pro- he's so caught off guard that he's probably like simultaneously talking to her and thinking out loud to himself about like, oh, what yeah. should I do here? Right. Like, so I think it's, it, it works really, really well because the first time I heard that line specifically that you brought up, I was like, that's a little intense. Um, but it does make sense when you think about how caught off guard he is and how totally out of place this sort of revelation would be. Um, yeah. So I, I, I like it. Um, even yeah. though it's, well, it's also like pretty intense. It's his biggest trauma that he's ever had as an enti- in his entire life. And not only has it just, like, come back out of nowhere to slap him in the face, it's come back out of nowhere while he's, like, trying to escape a, a maximum security prison yeah. that's, like, glitching out, facing, like, tons of supervillains. And it's, like, related to someone that he has a crush on. Yeah, like, it's, who he it's, was literally just having, like, a flirtatious uh, interaction with. 
Right. Like it's, <laughs> I, I think it's, it, it's really smart because it's like, we've never seen Peter in this position before. He's shook. We've never He's like legitimately yeah. just straight up shook. Like, I think, I think a thing that's, that's, that's been such a funny characteristic of this version of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man in this show has been how like calm headed he is throughout most things to a point where it's just like, are you okay, buddy? Yeah. Are you just like, a doofus or what? Yeah, and the fact that he's just, like, constantly beaten up all the time is just, like, I'm fine. And so, like, to see him this over the edge, this quickly, almost out of nowhere, it's just sort of, like, I think it makes it, I think it's intentional. And I think it makes it really clear that it's just, like, oh, this isn't just his origin story. This is, like, this is just bringing back the worst emotions that he's ever felt in, in his entire life that he's probably probably been repressing for the last couple of years oh yeah uh, or it's not even i don't think it's it's been maybe a year since it happened probably right yeah well because so, like, christmas was their first <laughs> without him yeah so it hasn't even been a year and he's definitely definitely has not processed because look at him he's in a spider-man outfit like beating up criminals <laughs> clearly he's going he's still going through some yeah. shit not processing it correctly well and he probably thinks he is processing it. it though so the fact that he's confronted yeah. in this way i think highlights and some part of his brain that it is not processed, you know, that's a lot to confront. I think it's very clear by the end of this episode, not to just like jump all the way to the end, but like he doesn't resolve his emotions about this stuff at the end. He ends it pretty much at the exact same place that he was before. And I think that that's, I think that that's important because it's like, they're not trying to be like, Oh yeah, that big trauma that you had. I don't know. You just like talk to the guy a little bit and you're fine. Like he's not like, he's only fine at the end of the episode because he's out of the situation, you know? No, but I mean, I, that makes sense. Like the amount of loss Peter has experienced, even even if you only want to put it on Uncle Ben. But I mean, there's also the consideration that like he's being raised by not his biological parents. He's being raised by his aunt and uncle. It makes sense that he there would be a certain amount of detachment that he sort of um, exhibits unintentionally Mm -hmm. right like it's a defense mechanism and it's not one that you necessarily do on purpose but you see it in peter parker not just in this peter parker but just in peter parker in general the amount of things he does to escape into his own head or escape just literally away from what he's confronting or the way that he treats or doesn't treat people like it all makes perfect sense that he's just constantly like thinking he's processing things and not <laughs> especially yeah. when you're 16 <laughs> yep. so and, yeah. and he doesn't really and he doesn't have anybody to talk to about it because nope. nobody knows nobody knows his secret identity nobody knows that he nobody knows the guilt that he feels for letting the criminal go yeah. because no one knows he's spider gosh so it's that's like, right <laughs> yeah he doesn't on have top to of to the totally it. normal not superhuman like detachment you might feel after losing somebody really close to you. <laughs> right. I think that's the thing. We always, we always kind of like half joke where it's just like, dude, just see a therapist. But it's like, that's like the quintessential thing. That's the problem with having a secret identity in a superhero show. Is you can't do that. Is that you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Where's that show or comic? The one where like there are therapists. Well, I mean, I'm certain it's out there. Um, yeah. That, that definitely exists. Right. I mean, like we, we could probably name them, but like, but it would be interesting to have something that's specifically focused. I don't know how many people would be into this, but I would be into this. I'll, I'll find the fanfic. I'm sure it's out there of like therapists for superheroes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that would be, yeah. I think that would actually be really interesting because the one thing that we don't consider is like the way that, that therapy and counseling and confidentiality in certain circumstances works in our world, our real world might not just simply apply 
in a world where this completely different thing exists. You know what I mean? That sounds fascinating, actually. Right? I mean, you know, we got we got the Sopranos doing therapy for like mob bosses, right? I think like <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't even know that. I've never seen it. That's so cool. That's 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 the whole premise. That's the whole premise of the show. Oh, that's funny. And obviously like it, it's it's inevitably gonna gonna deal with it and land in a very different place because it's about like a, a just a genuinely like terrible person is the point of it. Yeah. But like for a superhero thing where it's like yeah because so many superheroes their origins are like dependent on them being inflicted with trauma that they're the way that they're processing it is by superheroing which may or may not be a healthy way to deal with it like if you have a therapist trying to like help them deal with it but also in a way where it's sort of like okay so i guess i can't stop you from being a masked vigilante and maybe i can even feel conflicted myself as a therapist by seeing that you're doing really good work by doing this but it's also harming your mental health so how can i help this that would be really interesting to see how that would be handled yeah because we think of we're, we're confronted frequently with the way that the presence of superhuman people affects law enforcement affects medical professionals affects just everyday people affects you know civic you know like civic officials and stuff like that but like it would certainly change the way therapy works <laughs> yeah so that, that, that would be pretty interesting um but any yeah. in any case peter's not getting therapy so that you know <laughs> not this yeah. time i guess so we're not getting it here <laughs> yep <laughs> so they are they're in this air duct Peter's sort of like making these these comments about how he's not going to let Walter just walk out and uh and and below we have the criminals still the prisoners um trying to figure out what to do and where Spider-Man and all them went. Uh Silvermane does end up seeing that there's this hole in the cell and he instructs Molten Man to direct his powers into the duct to basically flush them out, which is actually like pretty horrifying. So like mm-hmm. back in that air duct as Spidey and and Black Cat are kind of still having their their sort of contentious uh conversation walter points out like hey uh hey guys is it getting warm in here and then they like basically like uh like zoom back like camera the camera like flies back in the air duct and shows basically just like fire <laughs> just like fire moving through the ducts <laughs> which is yeah that's yep. I, that's that's scary as shit man so that's that's where they're at <laughs> Oh boy. Um yeah, so we cut from that utter horror to a really pleasant scene. I love this. We're back at the play and it's Flash and Shashan's scene and Shashan is playing uh she's Titania, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And Flash is Nick Bottom and he's fully decked out in his donkey head for the play, but it's a really nice scene because through the lines in the lines that Shashan is delivering, Shashan's character is delivering to Flash's character, she says, I love you in the lines. And he, through the donkey mask, hears this, but it's very clear that, like, he's hearing the character say it, but he's also hearing Shashan, the person, say it to him, Flash the person, and is receptive to it. And his line is like, like, oh, he thinks you should have little reason for that, which is really cute because, like, that's how he feels. It's like it's a... Uh, We've seen his ego be peeled back this entire season. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, this girl that I like is telling me she loves me, which is a thing that I've wanted. And I don't feel like I deserve that, which I think is a really it's underplayed because in the context of a play. But I think that's a really big character moment for him to, like, actually see that, like, that it's something that he does not deserve, even though he's getting it and, like, recognize that. 
and almost kind of freak out a little bit about it. <laughs> yeah, I love I love this scene. I, I like it a lot based on what we've been getting from Flash and Shashan, um, especially Flash. Aside from just timing as far as the play goes, is there a reason I'm missing that this is dropped in right here or is it just a timing thing? I think it's just a okay. timing thing. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything else. Cool. But yeah, so we cut back to the prison. We see Black Cat, Walter, and Spider-Man leave the air ducts and end back in uh, part of the vault where the tranquilizer gas is actually being kept in large tanks. I think it's really understated how many times somebody tries to get somewhere in this facility and is forced to end up somewhere else. I think it was understated with the elevator shaft. Like, I think if all went according to plan, he would have popped out at the top of the building. Oh, yeah. And in this case, there's no reason that they would want to end up back at part of the vault, but we saw them kind of forced out of it because Molten Man was using his powers in the duct. I mean, they don't overstate these things at all. It's sort of one of those things where it's like you just naturally see them end up somewhere and you and it makes sense. But if you actually were to plot everywhere that they go, I think it would be kind of like a wild path. Yeah. Oh, that's funny, too, because then it's like it kind of lends credence to Spider-Man's abilities, because like if Green Goblin had not intervened and like made all this sh- this shit go wild, he would have escaped the prison just fine. I with, think like, so. No issues whatsoever. I think that's really fun. I like that. I mean, that's what I'm assuming. Like I, there's he wouldn't have ended up in the cell block like that was not his goal. He jumped out of the. Yeah, of you're the, right. The shaft, right. and there's no reason they would end up back in the vault. I mean, they explicitly say we're back in the vault. <laughs> yep. Anyway, sorry. I just yep. think I think it's interesting because it's like such a there, there's like no attention drawn to it whatsoever. But I think it's such a really well plotted, not plotting in the storytelling sense, but like in the plotting where they go <laughs> uh, throughout yeah. the facility. I think it's it's really well done. Yeah. So they're with all these tanks full of tranquilizer gas. So obviously. The easy answer is like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to spread the gas through all all the prison. Everybody goes to sleep when we leave. That sounds great. Spidey suggests that. And we as the audience is just like, yeah, duh, okay, this is how they're going to do it. Black Cat throws a wrench in this being like, okay, don't you think, don't you think (laughs) that someone has already thought of this issue? So he's like, they can't. Actually, you would need to lure all the prisoners to the space where the tanks are and manually release the gas, which means that someone has to manually stay there and release the gas, which would trap not just the prisoners, but whoever has to actually release the gas inside, which I think is kind of it's it's I like this aspect of it because Black Cat is essentially manipulating Spider-Man into staying behind and doing it right because she kind of calls out as much to be like, I mean, you're a hero, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't let us stay here. You would do this to be a hero and let us escape, which is an interesting dimension because it's sort of like we love Black Cat. She's great. She's still a criminal who's like steals stuff and is mostly out for herself. Like she likes Spider-Man, but, but she plays with Spider-Man. She plays with Spider-Man. And, the, and it's and I like that it's very clear. Like, I mean, she's not a bad guy, but it's not beneath her to manipulate Spider-Man for her own ends to get what she wants, which We've also seen before, right? Like she's totally she's manipulated him before to the, her first appearance. She got away with her little her little kitty cat necklace behind Spider-Man's back. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. But I like that they're kind of reestablishing that and they don't really call it out. You have to kind of like be paying attention to be like, wait, that's a little bit fucked up what you're doing with Spider-Man right now. And he'd probably fall for it if he wasn't like foaming at the mouth about the guy who killed his uncle right now. Yeah. I like the dynamic that they're exploring. 
I like the dilemma that they have presented. I am not going to think about the logistics that require them to get there. (laughs) I just, I just, I just, you know, I just kind of because this episode (laughs) is really trying at certain points, (laughs) and I'm just going to leave the logistics over here on the table, and I'm going to move forward. Yeah, it's fine. I, I'm just like, yeah, gas, criminals, fine. Turn, turn a wheel, cool. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. So we cut to outside once again, just basically to see that Green Goblin is still observing all of this and still sort of like supervising all these things. And while he does that, he sees that Spider-Man has gone back into the prison. He's swinging through that cell block. And he ends up back where Rhino, Molten Man, Silvermane, the Enforcers, the Mysterio Android, and the Homunculi are trying to figure out what to do next. There's this, like, really funny moment where, like, he swings in, they all stop and, like, turn to him. And he's like, I think, what does he say? I think the turn of phrase you're looking for is, get him! And then they all say, get him! And then they chase him out of the out of the cell block. He says, any misbegotten malcontents misplaced an extremely handsome whip slinger? <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's well, something I wrote that one down. Yeah, there's something <laughs> there's something he says about the get him thing, but uh but yeah. Yeah. But ultimately it serves to get them to chase him through the prison because they're all being brickheads, I guess, and uh just <laughs> just going with it. Um I mean, what else are they going to do, right? Yeah. Like they're bored. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, like what what the best case scenario is not them getting out. They're not going to get out. <laughs> Yeah, they just get to, like, have some fun and beat up a May guy. May as well try to kill Spider-Man before we get locked back in, so. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So they uh, <laughs> they chase him through the block. He actually ends up, like, veering off for a hot second and destroys the homunculi as he, like, dives down a stairwell. It's pretty cool. He uses, like, a, mm-hmm. a um, what is it, a fire extinguisher. And then, you know, at the bottom of the stairwell, finally, like, knocks all of them out. This is funny. Walks out of the stairwell takes like one turn, sees an elevator, and the entirety of the rest of them just walk out of the elevator. <laughs> He's like, wait a second, so hold funny. on. Why did you guys it's get so... to take a shortcut? <laughs> it's just, I was wondering when it happened. I was like, wait, where are they going? <laughs> it's good. The look of the elevator opening and just seeing a bunch of supervillains just standing in there having great. been in the elevator. It's great. Hilarious. Never, it's never not funny. The elevator gags are like almost always funny. <laughs> they really are. I want to, since I think this, was, this is the last appearance of the homunculi, yeah. some of the lines, this isn't all of them, because some of the stuff they say, like, makes sense and everything. Right. But just a few selections of things they say, um, mostly the non-sequiturs they say, are, Johnny needs new shoes. Jazz hands, Spidey. <laughs> Tricky webbing, sticky webbing, tasty webbing. Oh, I didn't get that one. Pistachio. I did get that one. <laughs> Limited time offer. Yep. And then there are three in succession that say curses, foiled again, and then non sequitur, non sequitur. <laughs> that's the last one before getting destroyed. Beautiful. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, these ones are a little bit easier to decipher than the, the past couple. I like that the pistachios is like, get him, get him, pistachios. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's a good one. It's great. So they, you know, chase him out of the elevator, or they chase him from the elevator, and he tricks he tricks Molten Man into taking out the uh, Mysterio android, leads the rest of them into the tranquilizer gas tank chamber, and shuts the door behind him. They're all sort of confused. Rhino is like, what in the world is he doing? Like, no door can hold me for very long. Cuts up to the, uh, like, catwalk, basically, where Walter Hardy responds, I won't need long. 
turns the uh, the wheel, gasses everybody, everybody passes out. Bam! Walter stayed behind. Well, so obviously that's not going to go great. Um, outside, in her delivery van, we see Black Cat, who's escaped, and has a very, very upset and angry look in her face. And she briefly flashes back to Walter Hardy, admitting to Black Cat that he killed Ben Parker and that he deserves to pay for it in prison. Yeah, so Spidey insists that it doesn't make them even because he's still mad about it. And when Walter says he understands, Black Cat, of course, objects. And so, yeah, so we flash forward and she begins to drive away as the prisoners all pass out. One thing that I really appreciate that they did with this is, I mean, when you look back, you can see that Walter isn't exactly like excited to get out. He's not like in a rush. I mean, he was staying in the cell the whole time while everybody was like being chaotic. And that was all, I mean, that was all noticeable. But then what they do is they kind of cap it off with this confession. And he he even says, like, I actually really prided myself on never hurting anybody um, as a burglar. And then that, you know, as I got older and I could do less, I kind of got desperate. And that's what led to Ben Parker being killed. So that's when you learn, like, it doesn't just mean something to Spider-Man. It actually means quite a bit to Walter Hardy, too, that this is the, the first and only person he's killed. And he's beating himself up about it. Which is, a, I mean, I, you know, again, like you said, Spider-Man says, you know, not forgiven. But it is, it, is, uh, it is interesting to see that that is kind of how they decided to write that interaction from the killer's perspective. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I appreciate that they, they kind of keep it vague over what Walter Hardy kind of knows of Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Yeah. He knows, ben, he knows Ben Parker is the name of the man that he killed. Right. And we know that he would recognize Spider-Man because we saw the flashback where Spider-Man like chases him down and confronts him and almost kills him. And in the spectacular Spider-Man, they don't do any kind of like pre-Spider-Man costume. He is doing this in his full Spider-Man costume. Yep. So he knows Spider-Man was very angry and very and, and tried to and tried to kill him and then saved his life. And so he kind of understands, like, oh yeah, I remember you angry guy for almost killing me. And you could reasonably assume yep. That he maybe connected the dots that even if he doesn't know who Peter Parker is, he probably knows it's someone related to Ben Parker, but he doesn't spell that out. He doesn't say if he actually knows. And you could even say that maybe he doesn't know that there was a connection and just knows that Spider-Man doesn't like him and also that he murdered someone. But it's also hard to believe that he wouldn't like connect the dots right. in some way. Yeah, this is all vibes for me, but I, I feel like he knows probably quite a bit. And part of his sort of like self-imposed penance is like allowing Spider-Man to do his thing and allowing yeah. not getting in the way of that in any way and knowing that if he were to expose Peter or expose Spider-Man in any way, like that would only further hurt what Spider-Man is doing as a result of Ben Parker's murder. Yeah, it's good. I also, I do think it's so interesting that like, yeah, Spider-Man doesn't forgive him at the end of this, yeah. which is such an interesting, it's an interesting parallel to like Spider-Man 3, which does similar kind of arc, right? For Uncle Ben's killer. That whole movie is sort of like his journey to like being able to forgive Uncle Ben's killer at the end and let Sandman go away. But it makes sense for that to not be the case this time because Peter has not gone through that journey at all. Yeah. Not any kind of journey. He still has a lot of processing to do. And it does make me wonder if like this is something that might get revisited, that would have gotten revisited like later on in the show where he could find some way to like forgive Walter Hardy. Like I think I could see that being 
a really powerful moment, but it's also a moment that I could see not happening because it's not oh, also like I think it has to have been planned. I I, I would yeah? be shocked. I would have been really and probably disappointed if that wasn't something that was revisited in some way, especially because we see the impact of this of these actions on the relationship between Spider-Man and Black Cat. I feel like there's something, and I don't know exactly what it would have been. I don't know if we would have seen Walter again. I don't know how it would have manifested, but I think there's something that would have revisited this. I don't know. Like, I feel like it would have been really sad, (laughs) like, to have him not revisit this in any way and have the last interaction he has, if not with Walter, but with this situation, just be like, you're not forgiven. Yeah, because I I don't want that for Peter, and maybe that's just me deciding, you know, what the show should be based on what I what I want as opposed to going along for the ride. But I, I wouldn't want that for Peter, and I feel like the way that they leave it, I would I would also expect something more to happen with it. I agree. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, yeah, you're right. I think they would. I think the most satisfying thing would be for them to eventually do it. So yeah, Peter kind of sucks a lot of the time, but I do feel like the show is optimistic about him. Yeah, I mean this, and this is a this is a case where it's like, yeah, I I don't think that he's wrong for not forgiving him in this moment because totally. he's not ready to do that. Like he hasn't he hasn't had a heart to heart with Walter Hardy. They were in a pretty wild situation where they did not have time to talk. So I understand why mm-hmm. he would be in this position. I think it's a really smart thing to do given all the chaos that's happening around them. Yep, yep. You can't you can't fake forgiveness, <sighs> and so you shouldn't shouldn't fake forgiveness. You know exactly. <laughs> so I'm glad exactly. the show acknowledges that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that means this episode is inevitably going to end on kind of a dark note. Yeah. So (laughs) outside, uh, Green Goblin decides, uh, he's like, you know what? Y'all can't handle this. Like, he just even calls out, like, it's literally, literally an entire prison full of supervillains who hate Spider-Man. And he's he's fine. He escapes fine. He doesn't even have, like, a rip in his costume. Like, come on. What's happening? So he's like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done with using other other surrogates to do my bidding. I'm also done with rhyme schemes. I'm real Green Goblin now. I'm going to kill him myself. So he straight up just starts throwing bombs at Spider-Man. It's like, I'm back, bitches! <laughs> and having not cleared the grounds yet, uh, Felicia does see in her rearview mirror that Spidey's being attacked by Green Goblin. So moments later, she intervenes as Black Cat kicks Goblin, which uh, helps Spider-Man fend him off. And Goblin's like, I didn't sign up for Black Cat. So he flies right on off. Spidey's like, oh, hey, Cat, thank you so much. And she's like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, uh uh-uh, let me lay this out for you. She's like, I blame you for my father staying in prison for the rest of my life, and I will never forgive you for that. Yeah. Yikes. Yep, yep. It's a nice parallel because Spider-Man doesn't forgive her father, and she doesn't forgive him, so. Yeah, no, it totally totally works. And that's, I think that's why I feel like it has to have, like, it has to have eventually been revisited should the show have been continued. Obviously, whatever they are going through would have been revisited, but I I think that there would have been some sort of resolution built towards through them, if not directly with Walter, as a result of how we see these two leave each other here. And I don't know. There's another episode to go, so who knows? Mm Mm-hmm. We will see. We will see. Well, back at the prison, Captain Stacy admires Spider-Man's ability to clear the vault and subdue the prison riot. It's like, that's cool. Well... I'm I'm a Spider-Man fan, but Jameson's like I'm not, um, and says that it's all a conspiracy. And oh, yeah, I love yeah, I actually yeah. love the exchange because, like we've talked about before, Captain Stacy and Jameson are like so on the same level in a way that no one else is. Mm-hmm. So Jameson's like they're all working together, and Captain Stacy's just straight up like, 
Jonah, to what end? Yep. <laughs> Why? Yep. That, your conspiracy theory makes no sense. And Jameson's like, they're conspiring together to raise my blood pressure. I love it. You <laughs> think good. those two have ever gotten a beer together? Oh, abs- are you kidding me? They probably got a beer together like this very night, <laughs> like, right after this. <laughs> Captain Stacy always buys. That is a guarantee. Right. Yeah, one hundred percent. They're like, they're like the type of like the kind of almost prototypical like adult male friends who like never show any ounce of affection towards each other ever and fight and seem to hate each other, but actually like deep down really truly yeah. care about each other deeply in a very particular yeah, way. Yeah, no, th- their affection is literally just to be in the same room with one another. Like that is, that is the single language they speak. Yeah, as far as like affection goes. Yeah, 100%. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that Norman is is sort of like peripheral to them too. Not part of it, but like um, obviously familiar enough, at least with Jonah. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. So um, episode's over pretty much. It actually ends with good old Hobie. Oh, he hasn't been able to speak all season, and now he gets to close out the episode. Yeah. Because as Puck, he closes out the play, says the final lines, and we see the curtain close. Yeah. On the penultimate episode. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The episode, the credits roll with medieval music playing, which is fun. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in the credits, they actually credit, like, they don't not only credit, like, the characters, at, like, yep. like Hobie and Lizalan, they also credit the Shakespearean characters they yeah. play. So it's like Hobie, Hobie Brown slash... P- slash puck liz allen slash helena etc yeah everybody it's fun yeah well i mean i've I've been nervous to sort of like go in guns a blazing to the imdb so i typically start with the the episode credits and so i saw yeah it's everybody got their their double or triple credit based on <laughs> based yeah. on who they were in the play it was like yeah, confusing for a second because i i saw i saw shashan first and i saw it was like shashan slash titania and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, before I realized, like, everybody had something, I'm like, hold on, what in the world did I miss? What are we, like, what in, there's one episode left. Like, it was just like, it's like, what happened? Now they're introducing, like, actual fairies and magic in the well, <laughs> Okay, episode? does Titania what? not sound like, basically, like, Giganta? Like, it just, oh, it just sounds gotcha. like a, like a giant woman. <laughs> it's like. Who is she, though? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was a fun fun, fun little uh, detail in the credits there. Face of the episode is like, I gift this this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. It's uh, There's just a close-up on Rhino when he yells after he opens up the cell and sees that Spidey is in Black Cat and, uh, and Walter are gone. And for some reason, they just decide to uh, zoom in on his... Um, What's it called? A uvula, uvula, right? Uvula. Is that what that thing is called? Yeah, it's a uvula. Little, or as Full House called it, your courage in the back of your oh, mouth. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah the little hangy little thing. Little hangy ball thing. Little hangy ball thing. Yeah. It just zooms in on it and it just, and it, it just like, it's zooms in on it moving for a while. He's roaring. <laughs> He's screaming. I mean, it works. It's just funny that they hold on that for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good, good rage moment. Yep, lots of rage moments in this episode, sure. actually. Man, we have one episode left. I know, I know. It's weird. What do you uh what do you think's gonna happen in the in the in the final episode? Like I mean, or, or are you just going in totally blind? No, I mean I I mean I'm going in blind in the sense that well, I mean, like I don't know yeah. anything, but like 
I I expect that. I mean, if I'm going based on just where this sort of ended up, I would at the very least expect a pretty aggressive or at least very calculated, uh, for lack of a better term, like assault on Spider-Man on the part of Green Goblin um, based on how he sort of like threw his gloves down or not threw his gloves down, but sort of like threw his hands up basically at the end of this one and was like, all right, this is enough. Like this is, I'm done with these clowns. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, ironically. And uh, <laughs> basically decided to like take it into his own hands. I would be very surprised if that was just like, that was his little assault on Spider-Man. Oh, sure. So I'm, that's, yeah. I'm expecting at least that. Um, I would not be surprised if it ended up being, it's hard because it's, I mean, it's still going to be just a 24 minute episode. Um, or wh- however long these are. So there's a I think they're even shorter than that. I think they're about t- more like 22 minutes Probably. actually, which is like, wow, how do you patch so much into an episode, well, man? And so that's the thing that's confusing, right? Where it's like, there's a lot of things that I would expect to have wrapped up this season and not even everything, right? Just like certain very key things. Like I would expect something with the Green Goblin based on this arc that would make sense to close out the season. But I also would expect something with Peter and Liz to be significant in this finale. Mm -hmm. I would expect something with Captain Stacy and Spider-Man to be really significant. Either one of those situations could very easily weave in uh, something to do with Gwen. And if Green Goblin is still Harry, then I feel like those could very easily be kind of the six main players. And it could be an episode just totally dedicated to them. But this penultimate episode and a number of episodes in the back half of the season have done such a good job at bringing everybody into the room in some way mm-hmm. that I also don't expect, but wouldn't be surprised if there was something really kind of chaotic um, that happened. I think I'm expecting that far less than like a very, very precise sort of like tight, just like hard hitting goblin plus some key interpersonal things. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't expect to be thrown a curveball. Uh, I'll say that. I, I, okay. w- which I think is fine for a finale. I think it should build two things that you are wanting to see. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't expect curveballs. If I get them, I'll be surprised. But, uh, but that's kind of – that's all I'm really expecting because I, I, you know, think it makes sense knowing that this yeah, is not I a mean, series finale. Ex- <laughs> Right, like you can't expect, like it is the series finale, but you can't expect it to be a series finale right. because it wasn't a series right, finale. Right, it wasn't written as a series finale. I, I I fully expect that, you know, Mary Jane will not be a big factor, at least in the way that you would expect a Spider-Man Mary Jane to be a big factor. Sure. Um, I don't expect Aunt May will be a big thing unless she's somehow, you know, wrapped up in whatever Green Goblin's plot is, but she hasn't really been used that way. So if that happens, I'll be a little bit surprised. Like, there's a lot of things that I would not be surprised not to see, given that it is not a conclusion to the full story. Right, right. Which is a bummer, because yep. there's so many cool things. And this yep. episode spotlighted that. So There's so many cool things in this show. Yeah. It would be cool uh, to see something Flash-related, just because I do think Flash mm-hmm. has been, like, a huge part of the season. But uh, I'm I'm not even sure, because I feel like that's the type of thing that could easily be picked up in a third season and kind of carried even further, especially because he and Shashan are still in the early stages of their relationship. So, right. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know. I know. I know. At least even if, even if somehow we get none of that, which I, you know, (laughs) I would be shocked (laughs) if I didn't hit at least one of the boxes. (laughs) Right. Right. But 
people who got none of that, I do love the thing that I love about this episode, I think, is that like it just spotlights so many people in such fun ways. Um, and it really shows how well this show handled having such an extensive supporting cast and ensemble. Like, obviously, Spider-Man and Peter Parker are at the center. They are the main character. He is the main character. Yeah. But, like, it utilizes its ensemble so well, and you really see that in this episode. But that's kind of why I expect a more, um, like, distilled finale, right? Because I feel like yeah. this episode, and, and especially because they're all written in arcs, but this this specific episode being such a feature of the ensemble and a distilled finale would kind of serve as a one-two punch for the whole season. Um, yeah. And actually for the series to the this point. If yeah. you really wanted to feature the whole cast, I don't actually think it would make a ton of sense for a, an a ordinary season finale. Sure, sure. That makes sense. So. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right on the money with that. <sighs> fun episode, though. Yeah. I, I, yeah, show. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Let's hear... Let's... Let's... let's uh. Let's, uh, oh my God, you can hear us talk about a lot more fun stuff. <laughs> I liked where Patreon. you were going. I liked where you were going. I thought you I were going to say, like, know. let's just wrap it up. <laughs> oh, I don't, I mean, you knew like, more where I was going than I knew where hours, I was going. Two hours into this, I figured you were just throwing in the towel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. God. I love this show so much. I love other stuff that we talk about on our Patreon too. Oh no so way! You can join us. Yeah, you can uh, you can uh, join us there at as little as one dollar. Patreon.com/slash/WallopingWebSnappers. We have lots of bonus episodes for you waiting, so please check that out. If you'd like to find us individually, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. If you like Pokemon stuff, you can hear my co-host Kyle and I talk on another podcast called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network. If you are into books or video games or dabble in pop culture, you can find me on yet another podcast, imagine that, called Novel Gaming, where my friends Vicky, Katie, and I talk about everything we are playing, reading, and can't stop thinking about. Derek, where can we find you and all of your stuff? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on my YouTube series that we referenced earlier uh, for that Spider-Man 3 episode. The YouTube series is called Second Chance. It is a uh, video essay series that looks at bad or divisive media, but looks at it from a positive lens. If you would like to find out more from both of us, we have another podcast. It's a monthly podcast. It's called Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon. And we watch every single Pixar film chronologically. And as of this uh, as of this episode you're hearing now, we very recently released our episode on Toy Story 2. And that is available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com. And you can follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod. Or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd also love it if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And next week, we've already hammered this in, what we're doing next week. You guys know, it's the last episode of The Spectacular Spider-Man, the season finale that became the series finale, unfortunately, in a very good episode called Final Curtain. I don't wanna. I know, me either. I'm so sad. I'm excited to finally talk about this well, thing I've been holding this stuff in for so long. <laughs> Bye.
パラパラパラパパ。